highest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Mean Gene, I'm here in the dressing room with undisputed World Wrestling Federation champion Randy Macho Man Savage. Macho Man, I got a question for you. When you won the Survivor Series and you were standing in the middle of the ring with Elizabeth between you and Hulk Hogan, raising both your hands in victory, I saw Hogan peering out to the crowds like he always does. I saw Elizabeth enjoying the adulation. But Macho Man, I saw something a little different in your eyes. What was going on, Macho? All you saw, Jesse Ventura, was the eyes of determination, yeah. And now possibly the eyes of victory, yeah. The eyes of victory and the eyes of determination is what was happening at that particular moment, yeah. You got nothing on me, man, no. Uh-uh. Won the match, yeah. I understand victory. I understand determination, macho. But I saw something else. When that match was over and the lovely Elizabeth was up in that ring with Hulk Hogan. And Hogan had the 24-inch pythons wrapped around her, macho man. I don't want to know what was in your eyes. I want to know what was going through your mind at that moment. What was going through my mind at that moment was to be the sole survivor, which I was. One man was a sole survivor, and that was the macho man, Randy Savage, yeah. World Wrestling Federation champion, yeah. That's what I am now, and that's what I am now. Yeah, now yeah, I macho. am. That's okay, man. Not right now. I'm going to attend to some uh, new business right now. You understand that? I'm done here, man. I'm done here, yeah. I'm the sole survivor, yeah. New business? Ha. I think there's a little bit more to all of this. Back to you, Mean Gene. <laughs> Now with uh, Gobble Gobble mixed in. Welcome to the 24-inch podcast. My name is Steve Bennett. Unfortunately, the beautiful Paula Bennett will not join us tonight. But Boo. but we do have a man synonymous with turkey, the one and only Hollywood Dave Rollins. What's going on, Dave? How are you doing in New Jersey tonight? What's up, my brother? In a very festive mood tonight here over in New Jersey. I'm sure as the same over in uh, Buffalo, New York. I'm doing well. Had a little bit of a different kind of day. Running around, half day of work. Holiday stuff, man. Just that holiday stuff. Just getting in getting in the spirit. How about yourself? Yeah, I had some errands today. I had to help my grandma out a little bit. You know, pick this up, pick that up, move this down here, put this chair over here, put the leaf in the table, you know, do this, do that kind of a thing for a couple hours. But I got that out of the way. Uh, Paul went and seen Santa Claus today. Wow. Uh, couldn't sit on his lap, which is just the worst. Yeah, I guess. I uh, but next week, oh boy. next week, she's going to see him again, and it will be in our county, and she will be able to in our county. So Great. Um, that's cool. But she was really funny because she's like, I don't think that's the real Santa. I'm pretty sure that's one of his helpers. 
And her reason was because the barn for the reindeer just wasn't big enough. She just did not Ooh. believe that the that that barn could fit all the reindeer. So kids' said, imagination yeah. imaginations are the best, right? It's always something different from every kid. It's like the, the little things they notice, but that's what you tell them anyway, right? That it's one of Santa's helpers. I think that was always a thing with the people in the mall. Yeah, the we, all, the mall. we always say you don't know what Santa you're going to get. You might get one of his helpers, and you might get one of uh, you might get him. And the the one thing that's good about Elf in the Shelf is it makes total sense to her that someone else would be reporting to Santa because the elf does that. Yes. You know, so, And she knows how many malls there are. She knows it would be impossible for Santa to be at every mall at the same time. So it's to her just part of the process that, yeah, there's these, you know, satellite Santas and, you know, I might get one of those and some are better than others. And um, She's getting smart to the Christmas business. Yeah. She, speaking of smart to the business. She came home from school the other day and said that one of her friends in school told her that wrestling is fake. Oh, oh, oh here we go. The yeah. F word, brother. Yep. Wow, only in kindergarten. That's I know. Early. And I said, I said, what kind of jabroni is that? And she said, you know, it's so-and-so. And I said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. She's like, I yeah, know. I know. I told him. Somehow in Kearney, New Jersey, I, I got pretty lucky with that. I mean, I, you, got, you had some of that a little bit, but pretty much... You know, even people that didn't like wrestling, they they kind of nobody ever gave me a problem about it. I'm like one of the few people that could say that. Hopefully, Paula, that's the other only a little minor incident that I, goes away. I think it wasn't until close to WrestleMania seven that I was new. I mean, that I was like a hundred percent. You know, like I I had my doubts maybe at times, but like I thought Hulk lost to the Warrior at WrestleMania six, so it was definitely really? after that. You know. I mean, I knew, but I mean, I'm just talking about like, uh, you know, getting feedback from uh, getting heat from other kids at school. You know what I mean? Uh, I actually, I noticed wrestling wasn't real, but you know, it was kind of like, I kind of like blanked it out when I saw a uh, an you know the MSG Network matchup with uh, it was the Dream Team against the Islanders, and it was I said I saw the same finish on a USA Network on primetime showing a Boston Garden match of the same match, same exact finish. Like, whoa. Yeah, I was never well, you know, savvy enough about it like that. I, if I saw, if I would have seen that, it would have just blown by me. I think. Yeah, I guess that was the last piece of savvy in my life. I was never, <laughs> I was never looking for it to be fake. Yeah, my my uncle it. said something to me before WrestleMania three that it was in the paper that Hulk Hogan was going to lose to Andre, and then when he didn't, I felt like he was disproven. You know what I mean? That. You know, because he was giving me the business. He's like about it being fake before WrestleMania three, and there was always this thing. Yeah. Like I started watching wrestling kind of because of my my grandfather on my mom's side, my Italian grandfather who liked it, would always say that that was real and football was fake because he didn't like football. <laughs> and uh, my uncle was trying to disprove it and say, and that was his piece of evidence that was in the newspaper. And then when it was the opposite result, I called him like five minutes after the match. After my awesome. friends laughed, and was like, "You're wrong. It was wrong." So a lot of a lot of people say like, "Oh yeah, I, you know, I used to like wrestling, whatever," and then they they would say they stopped liking it when they found out it was fake. So a lot of people that was a big blow to them, just like kind of like Santa Claus, kind of like how we just went down this uh, wheelhouse here. But uh, yeah, well, in my life, in our world, Santa Claus and wrestling are very much real. <laughs> One thing that. Uh, Tonight on the show, we're going to cover Survivor Series 88, and we had just put up a show a few days ago. It's kind of like a bonus show, but we wanted to uh, put up a Survivor Series tonight and maybe going forward make it a Thanksgiving night tradition to put up the Survivor Series, our look at one, 
and um, put it up on Thanksgiving. Like Survivor Series used to be a part of it. And yes, good old days. Yeah, the good old days. And I was talking to Paula the other night, and she was asking if I got the pay-per-view. She always asked me that now. Did you order this? Did you order this? Did Grandma let you order this? And Survivor Series were tricky because report cards always came out like right when this was. So I would often be able to get it, but it was very report card dependent because it was mm. right. It was always right the same week. So my mom would be like, we're not going to pick up that box. I think I told you before we had to get a special box from the cable company to order the pay-per-views. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, so we would have to go pick that up. So she would cock block, you know, and be like, we're, we're not picking that up if it's a bad report card. And so, also make sure you finish all your vegetables, too. Yeah, so it got to me thinking about last time we had done this show, we read about Thanksgiving and wrestling. I, I read an article. We linked to it. If you go back to our one of our episodes in the catalog, we did Survivor Series 87 just because we felt like it, kind of in the middle of the season. And uh, we talked about Thanksgiving and wrestling, and it got me thinking about traditions, not only in wrestling, but in general around Thanksgiving. What are some of your Thanksgiving traditions, Dave? What was it like? What was what was Thanksgiving like in Hollywood Dave's life growing up? Okay, yeah, it's uh, pretty simple and straightforward, but I, we had some traditions over here in Kearney. Um, you know, growing up with three older sisters when I was a little kid, you know, one of them would always be a cheerleader, so we'd go to the big Kearney High football game. There'd football be a Thanksgiving, yep. Thanksgiving Day game. It used to be against Irvington, then it became against the East Side. Uh, fast forward a few years, then I was on the football team. So they'd be going, my sisters were out of high school, but then everybody would be going to see me play football. Sure. So kind of went to that. Then, uh, if, you know, after I was graduated, after everybody was gone, uh, we would still go to the games. Nowadays, you know, things have changed so much, you know, in the past 10, 15 years. I don't even know. If, I think they haven't, but could be happening right now. Thanksgiving Eve, they got lights up in there, uh, up in the field now. So uh, now it's just kind of just like, you know, everybody just comes over the same old stuff without the football game. Uh, you know, just hang around, watch football, watch March of the Wooden Soldiers is always on Channel 11. You know, Did you always Hardy. host at your house? Was it always at always your house? Always host at yeah. my house. Yeah, always host. Grand Grandmother, aunts and uncles. Did you have things lasagna? Like that. Uh, no, we did not. We, yeah, yeah, I think back when my grandmother was alive. Yeah. Not anymore. Because We're having gava, gava deal and broccoli in that place tomorrow. When I was growing up, um, there's kind of a lot of eras. But the main era was at my Italian grandma's house and, well, actually my great grandma's house. And we would go there and dinner would start at 2 o'clock and would go until 7 o'clock. That's the Italian way. Yep. Yeah, it was a hardcore Italian Thanksgiving. And we would start with um, lasagna at 2 o'clock. And then there was turkey in the middle and salad was the end and then dessert. Because um, for some reason, I, I, I was never a fan of it. It's a lot, and now I don't. Now I don't even eat salad. I can't eat salad because of my Crohn's disease. I can have. A, uh, I can have a few bites, but I can't eat. Anzalad, brother. Lettuce and stuff like that. So I skip out on that now, anyway. But so for years we did that. I was never a fan. I'm not a fan of traditional Thanksgiving dinner. So the hmm. so the, and nobody is. That's why nobody eat, goes out of their way to eat it any other day of the year. I don't like cranberry sauce at all. The all rest that, of it, I'm good. All of it's. Just average at best. The turkey especially is a terrible lead meal. I mean, I enjoy deli turkey, but that thing is terrible. Um, 
So years later, when I lived with my grandmother for a few years after college, after my grandfather had passed away, my family asked when I was coming home from school if I would stay with her for a few years. We not we always ate lobster and steak. I talked my Whoa. grandma into it because it was a smaller group. And uh, so it wasn't as so, big of an experience. So no turkey at all or is this a lobster and steak? No turkey at all, yeah. Okay. We would just eat a really... start a new tradition. Yeah, there. we would just eat a really nice dinner. Um, but now ever since I've been married and with, uh, with Tammy and everything, we go to my grandmother's house, that same grandmother, but now it's kind of back to a more traditional dinner, except for she makes me this fake crab with butter and breadcrumbs, bake, this baked dish. We the call imitation it, crab beef yeah, is pretty good. Yeah, we call it like we call it the fish dish, kind of a, as a wink wink to the fact that it's fake crab. Um and it's baked with it's so good. And I ninety percent of my plate is that. Like I eat turkey and I eat a little bit of corn and a little bit of potatoes or whatever's up there, but it's I love not, the uh stuffing. Some people call it dressing. Yeah, it's nothing I love. I don't love that. I don't eat uh, that at all. It's gross. How about the desserts? Yeah, I mean I like cheesecake the best. Strawberry cheesecake. cheesecake. Um, um, I'm a big fan of pecan pie. It's so bad for you. I don't even think it's going to be anywhere around here. What my aunt used to make it. She's passed on now. Then my sister that's in California used to make it. So all my pecan, uh, pe- you know, my sister doesn't come every year. From I like California. pecan pie. I think that's yeah. good too. I like, that's I like, my favorite one. I mean, whatever. I look at the pies and I have a piece. You know, what I, you know sometimes I, you're so you're so full. Sometimes I can't even get some coffee down. Yeah, you know me. I like my I like my beer and my drinks. So that's filling you up all at the same time. And then, of course, there's always been football, you know, the Lions and the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And then the last several years, there's been a night game, which I think is about six or seven years old now. A little bit more they've been doing the night game. And this year's the Saints and the Bills, which is horrible. It's always, you know, once they play once every four years, it's it's always, it's, it's very isolating for me. It's lonely. It doesn't go your way. The Saints haven't lost to the Bills in 22 years. Uh, oh, okay. the, the last time we lost them was in, I was in high school. But it's so just, what is the? Uh... It's just isolating because everyone I know is a Bills fan, and I'm I'm a fan of the other. Team. Oh yes, yes, yes. You know what I mean. Sorry. So it's very isolating to be on the other yeah. side of that. It's got to be it's got to be fun though to have you know your no, hometown team and your team. It's not on Thanksgiving night. No, no? nothing fun about it. I mean, like okay. when the game starts, I'm going to be alone because I'm not going to watch it with a bunch of Bills fans. Oh, so right. that's it. I'm alone then from that point on. Um. <laughs> And then the last thing I wanted to mention about Thanksgiving traditions was the Survivor Series itself because I got the first one, I got the second one, I was on punishment for the third one, and then was it the fourth one where it switched, or was the fourth one Thanksgiving too? Uh, fourth one Thanksgiving too. It's ninety one, the fifth one. Okay, then I got the fourth one. One of them I was on punishment. The other ones I got, and then it moved. Um, did you ever get any of them? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I got all the pay per views at a certain at a certain point, but this is a special one because. This is the first, the first WrestleMania three and four. I went to my uh, friend's uh, father's friend's house in Bayonne, New Jersey. Yeah, you mentioned that. Then, yes, uh, Survivor Series '87. I just got the tape the next day from a, my dad's friend at work. SummerSlam '88. Watched it down the shore. So this is the first one, Survivor Series '88, that we had in Kearney, New Jersey, oh, in nice. my parents' house. Because we we were, if it wasn't available before that, we just weren't aware of it. So this one, we had the box. You could order it right on the remote. My friend Anthony would do dinner with his family. You know, they lived up the street. Then he, you know, he'd come down for Survivor Series. We'd get all the LJNs out. I'd be getting yelled at the entire time, but I wouldn't have, <laughs> wouldn't have it any other way. But uh, oh yeah, and um, you know, I used to tape them 
right off the, the pay-per-view too and then have the tape and then be watching it over and over yeah. the next the next day off school so uh yeah this is pretty much starting my big run which my parents still hate me to this day for with all the pay-per-views and then all the friends coming over and all the you know just finally it was it was cut off somewhere in, in the early 90s but thank my god i got one of the box scanner boxes thank god we lived when we did though because they were quarterly as you know if we lived in the era when they if they were monthly that that's what cut it off that's yeah what started cutting it off when i started getting into wcw and the wwf had monthlies and everything it's just like dude even I, I was trying to you know pay for it with my own money at a certain time there's like nope no more of this shit because all the all the kids were getting bigger you know everybody was laying around the living room no thanks no more uh another thing that's been a tradition over the years is if you enter the ring or the area of the wrestlers as a fan you get your ass kicked and, not just a Thanksgiving tradition, any day of the year. Anytime. <laughs> it's always been a thing. And I just wanted to mention this real quick and we'll move on with the show. But there's a video going around from Monday Night Raw a few nights ago of a fan coming out of nowhere, really, to attack Seth Rollins. And uh, a little bit of a beatdown, not a huge beatdown. Uh, who knows what happens behind the curtain? Obviously, you got to be careful because everything's filmed now uh, a million ways and with it being a corporation and all that. So I understand it. But what do you think of that? And, and uh, what do you think about kind of the response to it today versus what you think the response to it might have been the Monday before Survivor Series yeah. 88? Yeah. Well, uh, this is actually in the same arena as the uh, 2019 Hall of Fame. I was there live when Bret Hart got attacked, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. So that's the first thing I thought of. Like, wow, every time it's Barclays Center, you know, someone's jumping out of the crowd like Typical a maniac. Typical Brooklyn. Typical Brooklyn. Yeah. I, I, trash. I, I, yeah, and I think the both people have like mental problems. Uh, the guy that attacked Seth Rollins um, is said he was getting hacked by a uh, what's that called? A uh, when someone uh, someone's talking to you, catfished. Mm. Someone was say well, someone was saying there was Seth Rollins to him, and he believed it and was sending the guy money. They they do this. This happened with Nikki Six from Motley Crue. It was on Doctor Phil. Nikki Six, the real Nikki Six, came and brought the lady there and apologized to her and gave her free tickets. Because what this this hacker was putting her through, these people are just gullible. So this guy was gullible, giving Seth Rollins money and stuff on uh, you know fake account of Seth Rollins. So then I guess Seth Rollins stopped responding to him, the fake one, whatever he was ever he was supposed to give him in return, and this got made this guy attack him. Now you know people are right away because Seth Rollins. I mean, in my opinion, as a wrestler, this is just my opinion. He brings nothing to the table. I don't think he's charismatic. I'm not interested in what he's doing. I'm not interested in his matches. I know he can fly around a little, but does nothing for me. However, undersized. And a lot of yeah, and a lot of people share that that same idea with me about Seth Rollins. So these people are kind of burying them, saying he didn't have to defend himself, etc. I thought he did okay, considering you know he's getting blindsided like that. He got the guy in the front face left. What's he supposed to do nowadays? Like we said in the old days, you could beat the shit out of the person, drag him in the back, do a number on him some more, and nothing will happen. Nowadays. Seth Rollins will get sued. It's unfortunate, but that's what would happen. And yeah, and also in the old days, if you got beat up, you were out of a job. Like if you lost the fight, that's true. And if that the old promoters, yeah, if that was on the books, I think Seth would be all right. I think he did what he could in the moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I again, I'm no fan of the guy. He said some couple things about Hogan that that I didn't like. So again, I'm no fan of this guy. But I'm going to call it like it is. I'm going to call a spade a spade. I'm not going to. You know, just because I'm not crazy about the guys, you know, say he couldn't defend himself. He seemed to do okay. And then the Bret Hart thing two years ago at the Hall of Fame, I was standing, 
I was seated right behind the soundboard. Remember the Hall of Fame, they had a ring this time in the middle instead of stage. And the guy came running right at me. And he's just like, what the hell? Where's this guy? And he, then he went, went to ring, tackle Brett, and then the ring just filled with people. And there you saw some vid- videos. The wrestlers did get shots in on this guy. Uh, his face was all beat up and everything else. So I, you know, it's only two years ago. I know times have changed a bit in just those two years, two and a half years. Times have changed quite a bit. But, uh, you know, I don't know what happened. I believe the charges were dropped. But I, I couldn't tell. Like, being there live, it just looked like this big football pile on top. I thought Brett might have been being getting strangled underneath on the bottom. But fortunately, he wasn't. I think he got a shot in on the guy, too. But the uh, when people were watching on the network, it just cut off. There was crazy pandemonium there. Yeah, Pretty that, wild. It is- that was a really sad just because of the they're trying to have a moment. You know yeah. what I mean? The, the yeah. Anvil had passed away. You know, they're getting it put in the Hall of Fame. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of an emotional moment there. And this this guy and really this ruined was, it. You know what I mean? And this this guy was like a lower level UFC fighter. So I mean he knew how to do you know, do things and stuff. This is crazy to people that are out there that are just being trained but they're also crazy in their head. You know, uh someone hit Arnold Schwarzenegger too from behind around that same time. I don't think it was anything too serious, but People are just uh, getting a little too free with their hands there, man, for, for my liking. But the, the funny thing about it is it, that was like the biggest talked about thing of that night at the Hall of Fame. Now, this is the biggest thing talked about on Raw in probably three years. <laughs> yeah. Know? So they got to hand it to them for that. At it's least a really good about video of it, too. Bit. Really good video. Yeah. yeah. Imagine amazing. it turns out to be a work. I don't think oh, so. Oh, yeah. You always have to consider that, but I don't think it was. Yeah, or even just like a work just to get people talking about the product, like yeah. you never hear about it again. Yeah, you always but, uh, have to, anything that happens inside the context of wrestling, you have to always. consider the possibility it's a work. But I, And look, I could be wrong, I just don't think that was. No, I agree. All right, so here's the agenda for tonight. Again, unfortunately, we don't have Paula, um, but she'll be back uh, for our one-year anniversary show, which I think is two away. And if they're, if we're, you know, there's one between that, she'll be there for that as well. Um, we're going to do Survivor Series 88 the way we do it. We're going to break down the card, uh, the matches. Uh, usually for pay-per-views, we grade all the matches, so we'll do that. There's only four of them, but we'll go through them. We'll go through the eliminations, talk about the guys. Uh, we're going to read the news for November of 1988. Uh, we'll do that, of course. Uh, we'll do emails. We'll let you know what our next show is going to be later. Uh, we'll have some plugs in there. Oh, we want to dedicate this episode to the great Peter Winson. Yes. Uh, who loves this show more than anyone I know. So, Peter, this show's for you because... Every, everything comes back to the show, and he's right right about that. Yeah, no matter what he talks about, it always comes back to Survivor <laughs> Series 88. And, and he, he loves it, and I love it, and you love it. So it's a fun one. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to talk about a few of the guys in the main event uh, that we probably won't talk about again. Uh, we'll do a little bio on three guys. Uh, we'll talk about the Richfield Coliseum because we're saying goodbye to that tonight as well. And then we will uh, find out where Hulk was in July or J- July, November of 1988. Sound good? Sounds great to me, dude. Thank you for listening to the 24-Inch Podcast. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, The Sportscasters, 10 Years in the Making. You can find it on Twitter, at sports underscore caster, or download episodes wherever you found this podcast. 
You can find the 24-inch podcast on Twitter as well. We're at the number two, the number four, the word inch podcast at 24-inch podcast. Email us at 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget about our friend Peter Winson and greeting from Allentown. It's at GF Allentown Pod. Twenty-four inch podcast. We are back. Survivor Series nineteen eighty-eight is the show for tonight. Uh, and before we get to that in the next segment with the news and all that, we're going to talk about a couple of the performers in the match. You know, this is the time where we usually go through the bio of Hulk's opponent, and Hulk has many opponents in this match. So Dave and I kind of looked at it and thought, who's someone that either we haven't talked about yet or we don't think we'll talk about in the context of another episode. Um, and for sure, we'll cover a match where Hulk uh, faces off against DiBiase, Haku. Haku. You know, so we left those guys off. DiBiase, we've actually already done. Um, but uh, we're going to go through three guys: one face or one heel, two baby faces. Quick bios on him, and then we'll move on. Let's start with Hillbilly Jim. Uh, James Morris is his birth name. Born July fifth, nineteen fifty-two. In Carlton, Georgia, or excuse me, he was born in Scottsville, Kentucky. He lives now in Carlton, Georgia. He built at six seven three hundred twenty. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Mudlick, Kentucky is not a real place. Come on now. Actually, it is a real place. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I never knew that. I always thought it was like a Tacula, Mexico. Yeah. Really Toluca for Tito. You know, it, it's a rural, unincorporated community in Monroe County, Kentucky. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yep. So it is a uh, is a place, and actually, on their Wikipedia page, it mentions that Hillbilly Jim was billed as being from Muglick, Kentucky. Beautiful. Yep. So it, uh, there was an X Files episode there as well. Wow. Um, I'm a yeah. little. Uh, I should have known this. I'm a big uh, Hillbilly fan. It's trying to find a population, but in more ways than one. <laughs> Not immediately seeing one. Yeah. So Hillbilly. Uh. Had a, had a stop off in Muglick, uh, but he was born. He lives now in uh, in Georgia, and now he's doing a. Well, actually, right, right now he's still he's still in uh, New Orleans making his Hall of Fame speech from 2018. <laughs> that still hasn't ended. That still hasn't. Ended. Still working on that. That was a long one. <laughs> uh, he does do a uh, a radio sh- a sports radio show, I think, a wrestling radio show now. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know if it's wrestling. I know he may, but he used to do a moonshine matinee of uh, music, you know, like some country oh, okay. music, some, some southern rock and roll, stuff like that. And I believe that's the reason why they never can use Don't Go Messing with a Country Boy anymore. They didn't even use it at the Hall of Fame. I thought maybe they'd figure out a way. And that took that took away a lot from it for me uh, because I believe that show, Moonshine Matinee, bought the rights to Don't Go Messing with a Country Boy on Sirius. It was a serious uh Radio, yeah, one I think of those. it's serious. Like, yeah, yeah. So it belongs to that, and you know the way the WWE is. So it's kind of still. So it's cool. It's still hillbillies, the song, but just could only use it in that platform. I'm pretty sure of that. He was trained by Bob Orton, um, and he debuted in 1975. Bob, uh, the Bob Orton Senior, I would imagine. Bob Orton Senior, correct. And he retired in 1990. His early career uh, before the WWF. Uh, he wrestled in Continental Wrestling um, under the name Harley Davidson, which was a biker gimmick. Uh, yeah, he looked pretty cool too. It looked, uh, you know, he's, he's a big dude. 
And in that, that biker gimmick, you know, it looks like uh, it definitely kicks some ass. And while he was there, he formed a popular tag team with. Now, I know this. Okay. Dirty Rhodes. Dirty Rhodes. Yep. A guy named Roger Smith who went by Dirty Roads because of his resemblance to Dusty Roads. Uh, I got nothing in front of me looking at either. For some reason, that just probably just popped into my head. Dirty Roads. In 1984, it's when he first made his appearance in the WWF, and they did the fan gimmick. Uh, he was a wrestling fan known as Big Jim, who would be in the front row of events and eventually decided to try it himself. He was a guest on the Piper's Pit. Uh, Piper offered his services to train him, though eventually he chose to be trained by Hogan instead of the heel Piper. Uh, that led to a series of vignettes that aired on the WWF programming. Good stuff. Uh, and Hogan gave him his boots, which I think Gorilla Monsoon mentioned every single time he wrestled I think it's from that point forward. It's written on Gorilla's grave. Yeah. Patent leather boots. I used to get confused. With Gorilla would always say the patented maneuver, like someone had a patent on the DDT, like right, Jake right. got a patent on. So his patented move. So I thought he was saying the patented leather boots. Like, like only Hillbilly Jim can wear leather boots. Uh, <laughs> Instead first, of patent leather. His first WrestleMania two, uh, first WrestleMania appearance was at WrestleMania two, where he was part of the Battle Royal, and then he maybe I think he's most famously known for being part of the mixed tag match at WrestleMania three, which is. Him yeah. versus Bundy, and then the four midgets. He, he was actually if he when he first came in with like you, like you said the whole big gym thing, Hogan training them with the patent leather boots. He was gonna get a huge push, and I believe. But he broke his Rupert leg. Broke his leg. Brutus yeah. Beefcake was just talking to uh, talking to me about this at the wrestling collector. Uh, Hillbilly Jim was supposed to catch Beefcake as Hogan knocked him off the apron, but he caught him, and Beef, uh, Hillbilly's foot went in between the hockey boards, you know, covering up the ice. And he had a, a terrible, terrible break. And um, I think he was rumored to be in Snooker's place, maybe even as a corner man for Hogan and Mr. T. This is how, how much they were pushing him at this yeah. time. Yeah. So the injury made them bring in Uncle Elmer, Cousin Luke, Cousin Junior, because they wanted to keep the, the gimmick going. But when Jim was uh, cleared to come back, it just, you know, he was definitely over. You know, we love him and everything. But uh, it wasn't that same uh, push to the moon that he was getting in 85. He ended up as a Hall of Famer. Well, like you said, a very long speech in 2018. <laughs> he was on the uh, the, the reality show. Um, Legends House. The Legends House. Uh, I thought he came off really, really kind there. He's got the famous. Absolutely. The famous LJN figure, too. Yep. Um, and he performed the song, Don't Go Messing With a Country Boy, for the wrestling album. Um, and uh, I think that's a pretty big deal, so. That's Hillbilly Jim. Just a little seems bit. like a, just a, ge a genuine great person. I've yeah. had a couple meeting couple meetings with him. Couldn't ask for any more. Nicest guy in the world. Uh, J. W. Ware, uh, born June twentieth, nineteen fifty seven, in Union City, Tennessee. Sixty four years old. Currently lives in uh, Colerville, Tennessee. Um, better known, obviously, as Coco Beware. Uh, he debuted. In 1978, he was trained by Herb Welch, uh, and he spent his early years in the sport in Mid-South Georgia and other NWA territories. Uh, he was Coco Ware um, before he was Coco Beware, um, kind of an alternate name. He was also Stagger Lee, Sweet Brown Sugar, mm. and then finally Coco Beware. Um, 
He paid his dues down south mostly in Jerry Jarrett's Continental Wrestling Association. Uh, it wasn't until the late 80s where he really started to pick up, and that was at uh, he was the first ever mid-American television champion, um, which was big for him, kind of a big break. Early, mid-80s, yeah. Yeah. Great tag, great tag team, uh, pretty young things as a heel, too, done that way. Yeah, pretty young things was... Uh, Bobby Eaton later turned face. He turned. He teamed with Stagger Lee for a series of matches. Uh, so yeah, it's Bobby Eaton and Stagger Lee. That was around 1983, uh, and then he came into the WWF in 1986 as the Birdman, Coco Beware. Um, big match at WrestleMania three against Butch Reed. Um, always in the earlier parts of the match, uh, had the tag in the card. Excuse me, had the big. Tag team with Owen Hart. Uh high energy. Yeah. Um, he's one of the guys where like if, if uh wrestling comes up in a bar and people some, know someone him. bring brings yeah. it up, hey, remember Coco Beware? Yeah. That name comes up. So hey, it the, means something. The name rings a bell. People remember the bird. He was flashy. You know, he had a lot of style. Um He had the bird for a long time too, but the bird died in a fire. Yeah, terrible. Coco actually told me about that story. Uh, yeah. Uh, last time I saw, last time I was talking to him at one one of the conventions. Yeah, that's very sad. Those things like don't they live like supposed to live to like yeah they outlive live, a human. They live long lives, and Coco had him well after his yeah. stay at the WWF. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame in two thousand nine, and I believe Frankie was there. Uh, a different Frankie. Was it a different I, Frankie? He was yeah. At that I think point? I, I believe it had already happened. Yeah. Okay. Well, he had a bird with him at the and, Hall of uh, Fame, but regardless. Uh, Birds do live also, a long time, but he died in a fire. Also, before we move on, a low-key badass, Coco Beware. A lot of guys don't mention him in the the elk of the guys who are the real-life tough guys. But right, Coco's like a pretty, and... Yeah, Coco's a pretty badass dude. He got in that fight with that guy, Jim Troy, who worked for the WWF overseas. And, uh, and it happened overseas, I'm saying. And uh, Coco, did, Coco did a job on him. He got in a little bit of trouble there uh, for a while. And I believe it was Shawn Michaels who started the fight. Of but uh, that's that's another story, and there's also one of those. Um, I think uh, Peter Winston did the show. I, th- I guess it's a continental show where Coco just annihilates a jobber. I don't know what the jobber must have did something to piss him off, but you can look it up on YouTube. He beats the shit out of this guy <laughs> in the ring. You know, stiff clotheslines, stiff slams, everything. So yeah, another one of the greats, the Birdman. Paul Warden Taylor the Third, born March twelfth, nineteen fifty-five. In Greenville, South Carolina, he's an alma mater of Gulfold College. Uh, he has two children. Ring names, Dr. Feelgood, the Red Whoa. Rooster, Scary Terry Taylor, Terry Taylor, Terrence Taylor, TaylorMade Man, 6'1", 225, build from Verno, Vero Beach, Florida, 1979, debut, retired in 2006. Uh, he, has had a lo- he had a long career with the WWF outside of the ring as a uh, trainer and a road agent uh, worked at NXT NXT uh, developing uh, talent also did uh, talent relations and TNA uh, so he's had a long career post his career uh, outside the ring uh, but he kind of came up uh, as a fan favorite uh, through the mid-south region and mid-atlantic in the 80s uh, he was originally selected to be part of the fabulous ones tag team with uh, I guess that would be Stan Lane. Right, but that role went to serve uh, to Steve, Steve Kerr instead. 
Um, he then la- later formed a tag team with Bobby Fulton called the Fantastic Ones after they split up. Fulton team with Tommy Rogers to form the Fantastics. Yeah, a lot of that's confusing. A lot of those teams, remember, I was a WWF guy, and so are you. Yeah. I like a lot of those teams, but they're very similar. The Fabulous yep. Ones, yep. the Fantastics, the Midnight Express, the uh, Rock and Roll Kurt, Express. You know, the, yeah, that's that's a little a little simpler. The one with Steve, that's Fabulous, fabulous Ones, Steve Kern and Stan Lane. They have those music videos with them like in hot tubs together and stuff like yep. that. Yep. <laughs> Yep, and pretty like good. you said, it was the fabulous ones, but then he was in the fantastic ones. So something yeah, pretty it's, it's similar tough. again there. Um, he had a good uh, good run in Jim Crockett promotions right before um, the WWF. Uh, got some run there in the te- uh, the television championship. You know, storyline um, with uh, Nikita Koloff. Uh, and he had a unification title match in Starcade 87, uh, which Taylor would lose. And then he kind of abruptly left to go to World Class Championship Wrestling before coming to the WWF in 1988. Now, there's all kinds of rumors and innuendo and thoughts and back and forth about his gimmick. And there's like this thought that Mr. Perfect and him came in at the same time. And what was going to be the rooster? And what was going to be perfect? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what to believe or what not to believe, but... Obviously, it was a gimmick that he never quite took to the way you might need to to yeah. kind of get it over all the way, and it kind of never really worked. Uh, his big <laughs> thing was really his gimmick against Bobby Heenan, um, kind of like being the guy who let him down. And it was pre- I thought that stuff was pretty cool. Yeah, I don't mind it, but yeah, when uh, Heenan was mic'd up on uh, yeah on Saturday Night's main event mm-hmm. and Rooster was in there, but you know, usually I stick up for the WWF with the gimmicks and say, you know, it's a narrative now. The Adrian Adonis thing we talked about on the last show, uh, the Dusty polka dots, but this one, as even as a kid, I never really got <laughs> a Rooster. Like I know they're supposed to be like the cock of the whatever, like cocky a Rooster. I never got it. Right, the I cock of the walk. I guess cock of the walk. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I was trying to say. I never got. I didn't get it as an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, or a or forty. How old am I? Forty-one-year-old. Uh, I don't know, but um, I remember kids in school kind of talked about him a little bit. He was over a little bit, you know. He was he was known. He was a good guy, you know. When he, after he turned good and heen, and but it kind of fizzled. You know what I mean? It, you know, it didn't last too long. If you went to, to a, put, went to a house show, over. if you went to a house show and he was there, you'd be like, oh, okay. You might cheer him on. If he wasn't yeah. there, you didn't realize it. Yeah, but right. I just never got the the. You know, I thought it'd be cooler if he stayed as Perry Taylor and turned face and was kind of like a Tito. You know what I mean? Kind of that type of style. Uh, don't really need a gimmick. He's a good wrestler. I thought he's a pretty good baby face going against Heenan and Brooklyn Brawler and stuff. Uh, but the whole yeah, the Rooster just uh, I never got it. Yeah, so just go over. Just wanted to go over a couple of guys in the show. If there's you got any thoughts on these guys, you can always email us two four inch podcast at gmail dot com. We could always read your call, uh, comments. If you're a fan of any of these three guys and think we slighted them and you want more from them, uh, shoot us an email. I like that, mixing it up a little this week. Yeah. That's pretty cool. One thing that we mm-hmm. like to do also is we like to talk about the arenas. We may have talked about this one a little bit in the Survivor Series 87 episode. I know we went through an article about wrestling on Thanksgiving, but there's no reason not to revisit it one last time. Uh, and talk about it briefly. We won't go through the depth. I know we did. Maybe it was the Saturday Night's Main Event episode that we covered where we talked about it more deeply, but we'll go through it just quickly. The Richfield Coliseum, also known as the Coliseum at Richford, 
was an indoor arena located in Richford Township, which is a suburb between Cleveland and Akron. It opened in 1974 as a replacement for the Cleveland Arena. 20,000 seat capacity is the main arena for that area until 1994, when it was replaced by the Gund Arena in downtown Cleveland, which was built basically simultaneously with Jacobs Field, where the Indians play, kind of in the big redevelopment of Cleveland when they put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the flats were really big, and the baseball stadium opened, and the arena opened, and Gund Arena is now called whatever it's called. You know, they all change their names. They all change every yeah. five years. Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is what it's called now. Um, and is the arena, you know, where LeBron James played when the Cavaliers won the NBA championship in 2016. Isn't there one arena somewhere? It's nothing to do what we're talking about. I'm just talking about the crazy names, like KFC Yum Center or something yes. somewhere. Like, what yeah. the hell? Yeah. What is it? You know, it's just so odd. Yeah, the, the the naming is horrible, and you get used to it, and it changes. Like, Staples Center is changing now in L.A. Is that real? I, I like the name Staples Center. Yeah, and that's changing. Wow. Now, so. But there, you got this generation of people now who call it Staples Center forever. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, they, they never change MSG. It's yeah, better not. that's a little different, you know. Yeah. What they do is something like that. It's the only like one, that. right? Is there's, one, there's one more they didn't change, I believe. Uh, Joe Louis Arena. Well, I what they'll do this. is they'll, like have sponsors that'll be at the arena you know like yeah the, uh, the you know uh rich the the bank at madison square garden or something like that but yeah correct that's what they do with the theater there hulu theater yeah. at Madison square garden it's just too much money sometimes i guess those naming rights for the owners to pass up despite of whatever course. traditions there might be or not be that's that's the answer to everything my brother money like the superdome the superdome in new orleans it's always going to be the superdome but or, every, or, every, or, or according to Hulk Hogan, the Silverdome. Or the Silverdome. But every five years, it's called the Mercedes-Benz Mercedes Superdome Benz. and then some other Superdome. So, But it's the Superdome. Um, anyway, about this arena, uh, the Coliseum uh, in Richfield, uh, pain in the ass. Generally kind of viewed as a pain in the ass. You know, not close to the city. One road in, one road out. You know, plenty of traffic. Uh, it's where the Cleveland Cavaliers... Primarily played uh, in the most famous moment for the Cavaliers in the building was Michael Jordan hitting a buzzer beater in game five uh, to eliminate the Cavaliers. Uh, one of the first really big Michael Jordan playoff moments. Cool. Um, many different minor league hockey and indoor soccer teams and these kinds of things uh, went through there. It was demolished in 1999. Uh, and, of course, it was just a massive concert venue. I mean, from the early 1970s all the way into the 1990s, everyone in music played this building for whatever reason. Um, I guess, you know, Cleveland, a big rock and roll city with the Rock and Roll Hall Cleveland of Fame. Stop. Uh, but, and this is the Cleveland stop. But, I mean, Frank Sinatra, Stevie Wonder, Elton John, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Alice Cooper. I mean, I go on and on and on and on. So who's who? Um, Kiss, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Neil Diamond, Black Sabbath, Queen, um, Bob Dylan, Hart. I'm trying to be easier. Be easier to re read who didn't play there. Yeah, Van Halen, Journey. Um, trying to find out if your guys were there. Ah, uh, they were there. Uh, I know Pearl Jam did not yeah. play here. Two, uh, but they got demolished in '95. They weren't doing arenas right yet. Well, they were, he said 99, actually, they but I think were, it stopped use. I think Cleveland just always ended up being the shed tour. You know, when it was when they stopped in Cleveland, just 
based on the timing, they would be in that their you know their uh, yeah their shed whatever it's called. I can't think of it. I can't think of it off the top of my head right now. But crew is there for uh, eighty seven and eighty nine, eighty seven, eighty nine, ninety girls and feel good definitely. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I was hoping to give you some details about it, but I'm missing. Oh, here they are. Um, September 21st, 85 with Y&T. Theater Pain Tour. Uh, July 24th and August 1st, 87 with Whitesnake. Uh, December 3rd, 89 and July 5th, 1990 with Johnny Crash. There you go. Uh, so on and on and on. Remember we thought it was Johnny Cash? Last time we did, we went over this. We were right, like Johnny yep. Cash. We looked it up. Yep. Yeah. The very last show was Roger Daltrey on my 14th birthday, September 1st, 1994. So I know we did go over it, but I wanted to touch on it again. The Richfield Coliseum. Dave, that means we've come to you. The time moment, for me The moment for you shine. to shine. Show what you're worth on this podcast and tell us where Hulk was. In November okay. of 1980. We got a little bit of a longer run this time. A little repetitive stuff in here, but I know you guys like to hear the arenas and the attendances, stuff like that, so I apologize for the repetition. But, you know, go after yourself if you don't like it. I'm just kidding. All right, we're in 1988. We're covering the Survivor Series of 88, so we're going to take a look at November of 1988, what the Hulkster is up to. On November the 4th, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, it's the debut at the Bradley Center. Big sellout of 18,862 fans sees Hulk Hogan go over the big boss man. Also, that same Friday, uh, November 4th, They Live, starring Rowdy Roddy Piper, opens in theaters. November 5th, Champaign, Illinois, at the Assembly Hall in front of 14,000 fans. Hulkster over boss man on a countout. November 6th, Toronto, Ontario, Maple, Toronto, Ontario Maple Leaf Gardens. Gorilla Monsoon and Sean Mooney on commentary for a big matinee Hogan over the boss band as a result of a countout. Then that evening, November 6th, Ottawa, Ontario at the Civic Center. Hulkster again over the boss band on a countout. Veterans Day, November 11th at the Nassau County Coliseum in front of 12,149. Very rare occasion as Hulk Hogan main events the Nassau Coliseum as a guest on the Brother Love Show. This is the main event because the other big match is Warrior versus the Honky Tonk Man, and that Intercontinental Feud did not headline any shows. It might have headlined some C-shows, but there was always Savage or Hogan above it. So uh, the main event of this show, and it was it was shown that way, and Sean Mooney cool. on the event center, yeah, yeah is cool. Hogan on Brother Love. They did it again on Saturday Night's Main Event. We'll get to that. Next day, the 12th, at the Spectrum of Philadelphia, still on TV. Dick Graham, still there, our friend. This time he's with Rod Trongard and Lord Alfred Hayes. As Hulk Hogan defeats a big boss man as a result of a countout in front of 12,062 fans. This is definitely one of the last Prism shows. A couple more only left, unfortunately. November 14th, Fresno, California. Hogan over the big boss man. November 15th, the big superstars of wrestling taping at the San Francisco Cal Palace in front of 14,600. Big, big attendance this, this uh, November 88. Sellouts everywhere. In a dark match, Hogan over the boss man. The next night, the Wrestling Challenge taping in Sacramento, Sacramento at Arco Arena in front of 15,900 is a Saturday Night's Made Event taping as well. And like I said earlier, uh, Hogan is a guest on the Brother Love Show on Saturday Night's Made Event. Now, this Saturday Night's Made Event airs right after the Survivor Series, November 26th. So about a two-week turnaround there for that one. Uh, November 17th, Los Angeles Sports Arena on the Z Channel. 10,000 fans, Hogan over Bossman. 
November 18th, St. Louis at the Keel Auditorium, Hogan over Boss Band. Countout. November 23rd, Cincinnati, Ohio, Riverfront Coliseum, Hogan over Boss Band. Countout. November 24th, it's our big night, the Survivor Series, 13,500. As Hogan and Macho Man's team goes against uh, Akeem and the Big Boss Man's team. We'll get to that shortly. And we'll just do one more. 1126, the big usual holiday weekend, Thanksgiving, Madison Square Garden show in front of 19,700 for a big sellout. Hogan over Boss Man, live on the MSG Network. Rod Trongard, Superstar Billy Graham, and Lord Alfred Hayes are your commentators. How about those sellouts? Big that money. Was, and, and Big Hulk, money on that. Hulk's yeah. working all over the place. I think our listeners should take this into consideration sometimes for if people want to think when they were really bringing in the most money in these house shows. Because sometimes even like in 85, they might be a little low when you think it was bigger in 85 than 88. But look at these. November 88. Yeah, huge Complete numbers. fire. Fire, fire. All right. Good, All right, brother. Good job, Dave. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get into it. Survivor Series in 1988. Yeah. And the news. All right, here we go this coming Thursday night, Thanksgiving. It's going to be live from Cleveland, Ohio, the 1988 edition of the Survivor Series. I can hardly wait. That big turkey and then 50 the greatest World Wrestling Federation superstars. Think of all of those big egos now having to compete in a team environment. Your chance to witness the superstars as they come out this coming Thursday night. Teams of five strive to survive. One of those teams will be captained by Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Well, you know, the Mega Power team is now complete, man. Uh, I got a heavy arsenal right here. First off, I got my sights set on the big boss, man. The Macho Man knows what he's going to do. We've got Hercules, man, the newest Hulkamaniac that brought us the powers from the heavens. And the Birdman, he taught us how to fly. Oh, yeah! How can we lose with the stuff we're going to use? Isn't that right, Macho Man? Frankie, the sky's the limit, and space is the place. But guess what, Hulk Hogan? What? Hercules, uh, man, he's oh, ready. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like it came together the day we were standing in the Pacific Ocean, man, and we all joined hands. Oh, yeah. He's going to come yeah. together one more time. The Thunderbolts are going to come out of the sky. As we have been united by Hercules as Hulkamaniacs, the other side, the boss man, Akeem, DiBiase, the Red Rooster, King Haku, shall fall at the team of the Mega Powers. Four inch podcast. We are back for the C block, uh, which is our best one. It's loaded. Survivor Series '88 right around the corner. But first, we got to read the news. All right, Dave, November of 1988, November 1st, really big news on the Staten Island Ferry. Uh, their first payphones are installed, Dave, on the Staten Island Ferry. Wow. Yeah, big day. I actually was, 
a big uh, rider of the Sat- Staten Island uh, ferry. I've been on it Fe- several ferry. times myself. Not, not not the Staten Island ferry. The oh. Ferry. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. I thought I was a little kid. I thought it was the coolest thing that you could drive your car in on a boat and it, it takes your car. You know what I mean? Yeah. Over to New York with you. Wild. You've been on it too, huh? Yeah, several times. Uh, most cool. of my Italian family that's in New York, they're in Staten Island. Yeah. So I've been there many times. Uh, November 2nd, a Mexican radio station erroneously reports that Mike Tyson had died in a car crash. Turns out that the car actually died. Yes. Not Mike Tyson. In his that's kind of like those uh, Chuck Norris. Uh, in Mike Tyson's book, he writes that numerous times in the 80s, he gave police officers eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 cars to avoid getting in trouble. I'm he sure, He sign the deed right on the side of the road and give them the car. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'll walk. It's okay. November 2nd. This was big for me. Uh, A's shortstop, Oakland Athletic shortstop, Walt Weiss, uh, wins the AL Rookie of the Year. Now, he was the third straight Oakland A to win it. And, Dave, the other two are big, not just baseball stars, but pop culture stars of the 80s and 90s. Who One, were, I definitely... Who were these I definitely know two? one. Okay, let's hear because, it. Because uh, anytime I hear Oakland A's, all I think of is not around this time, late 80s, Jose Canseco. Okay, now, and the other, other one, one... I don't know. The other one, you know this guy. He broke Roger Maris's home run record in 1998. Oh, okay. Uh, not Sammy Sosa, but... Um, right. Not the him, other one, but uh, the other guy. Red hair. Yep. Red hair guy. Uh, Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire. There you go. You got him. Good work. Yeah, so that well, he was uh, was he a rookie back at this time, right? I guess. Yeah, 1987, quite... he won the rookie yeah. of the year. Canseco won in 86. McGuire won in 87. Weiss won in 88. 89, they won the World Series. Well, wild. Uh, November 3rd, Pakistan claims it downed an Afghan warplane. I say that only to mention that. Pick a month, okay. pick a year. There's some turmoil in the Middle East. Always, always. <laughs> Uh, also, on that day, November 3rd, President Reagan signs the credit card disclosure bill. Interesting. Yep. Uh, also on this day, a loaded day, uh, talk show host Geraldo Rivera knows is broken as Roy Innes brawls with skinheads at a TV Good. taping. I never liked Geraldo uh, Rivera. He, he reminds me of the guy with David Schultz. Same shit. Yeah, famous moment where he got yeah. clocked in the nose. Just man, I know they're doing their job already, but that's that that wouldn't be a job that you know a, a normal person could have. What is it, like a reporter, like stirring up type reporter? What's the word for someone like a provocateur? Okay, okay. From November fourth uh, through the fifth, not one, not two, but not three, but four NBA arenas had their first NBA game: uh, the Charlotte Coliseum uh, for the Hornets. Uh, the first NBA game at the Bradley Center uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. The first NBA game at the Miami Arena for the Miami Heat. And the first ever NBA game at the Palace of Auburn Hills, uh, which was later, of course, known for so, the Malice in the Palace. Malice Palace. So this means that all those arenas came out very, that year, well, right before that. Miami and Charlotte, I think, were expansion teams. So those could have just been arenas that... We're already there. I don't know for sure. We just said on where Hulk was that it was their first uh, Hogan and Boss Band, the first show at the Bradley Center. Okay, yeah. That was new. That makes sense. That That one, I'm sure, just opened. And then, of course, Palace at Auburn Hills, which has already been replaced. Um, Yeah, but I think think Palace may have been newer at that time. No, the Palace, I'm pretty sure it it opened in 88 for this purpose. 88, so no. Yeah, Yeah, because they had been in the... um, 
they had been in the Silverdome in the in the separate, you know, the half configuration that the yeah. WWF would do. So this was their own place. That that one, it, that's gone though. Now they play where the you know with the Red Wings at the new arena. So at least two got. ones. Charlotte's, like you said, is yeah. not real. I mean, it's not real. It's not, two were definitely new. brand new and two yeah. questionable. Got it. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, November fifth, Japan beats a team of Major League Baseball All Stars two to one in Tokyo. It was a seven game series as the first game, and I mean for the whole month they're going to be bringing these up. Um, is that a rare thing at the time? Should that yeah, be it was a, you know yeah. like a big showcase to have the Japan major uh, the the proposed in Japan and the major leaguers. But America's pastime, brother. I don't like that. You don't know what team was willing to go down there in their off season. You know, I don't I don't have the rosters, but yeah, well, who knows? My who, guess who it was not really it was that. not best on best. I'm sure. Yeah, Jose Canseco wasn't there. Back to back episodes of the show Kokomo gets a mention. Uh, because November 5th, the single by the Beach Boys from the film Cocktail goes number one. And, of course, that little slut alley with an eye two times on Daniel's son uh, with Tom Cruise and gets knocked up in this movie. She's in it. We just talked about Kokomo on our last show, on the Adonis show. Which is why I, I said it made it into the show two in a row. Imagine that. Two in a row. I missed yeah. that. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, okay, here's a big win for the uh, MLB All-Stars 16-8. So they went back and forth all month. Oh, that's good. Uh, November 7th, Sugar Ray Leonard KOs Donnie Lalande. Why is that? Hey, Dave? Yeah. because this is a Titan Sports production. If yep. you listened to our show a few months ago on SummerSlam 88, Superstar Billy Graham, brother, I was talking about the big Donnie Lalande Leonard fight. The whole show, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard was front row that night. And uh, this was a one-time thing for the WWF. I guess the buy rate was uh, meds and meds because uh, I'm sure they would have done more. Yeah. But, Congratulations to good old Sugar Ray. The following Tuesday, November 8th, uh, then-Vice President George H.W. Bush is elected President of the United States, uh, defeating Democrat candidate... Uh, Dukakis. Michael Dukakis. I, this is like the first presidential election like I remember. Same. Like third grade. Yeah, yeah obviously yeah. the same, because 80, 84, we were too young. And, um, the, you know, I remember in school, we were like did like a pretend vote and like stuff like that. I'm sure they can't do that nowadays. <laughs> uh, November 10th, Oral Hershiser is a unanimous choice for the National League Cy Young Award. Uh, his, Cy Young. He, he had just led the uh, the Dodgers to the World Series championship over the Oakland A's in October. Uh, let's see. Japan won game six. Those guys are going back and forth all month there. Uh, sitcom Murphy Brown starring Candace Bergen premieres on CBS. Be a Bergen. Big hit for them. For the Big hit. I never really uh, watched it myself, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, kind of not our... We weren't in the demographic that show was Definitely aimed, not. You know, aimed at. Not even close. Uh, November 15th, Dodgers outfielder Kirk Gibson wins the NL MVP, so a sweep of the MVP and Cy Young for the Dodgers. Um, Jose right. Canseco uh, won the AL MVP, the first unanimous... AL MVP since Reggie Jackson uh, in the late 1970s. Uh, November 16th, more bad news for Mike Tyson. He is alive, but he's being sued for $125 million for libel by Robin Givens. Now, that was that was his ex-wife. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they were, yeah. Real pretty girl. Yeah, she's not, the one. They the... did the famous, you know, interview on 2020 or with Barbara Walters, you know, where they're sitting on the couch, and she kind of like, 
just starts talking about Tyson Hittner, kind of. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was it wasn't the rape that was later different. Oh no, that was in the nineties. The le- the alleged rape. Yeah. yeah, in Indiana in the early nineties. Uh, I, I remember Robin Givens always being in the news with uh yep. Tyson. I, I was a uh, like we say in the eighties. I was pretty much just wrestling, but I uh, I liked Mike Tyson. I was into into boxing. Didn't you know? Probably didn't know my ass from my elbow about it, but I acted like I liked it. It's hard not to be drawn to Mike Tyson at this time. Yeah, if I yeah. Mean, I'm I'm still a fan. I'd like to get a picture with him someday. Uh, I'm sure that was settled out of court. Uh, November sixteenth, President. Me and Mike Tyson's picture, or <laughs> yes. <laughs> President Reagan and the First Lady participate in the official state arrival ceremony meetings and a state dinner with Margaret Thatcher, uh, who was the Prime Sounds Minister like of fun. England. One of his last state dinners, I'm sure, as he would uh, obviously only a couple months left in his uh, presidency. Yes, yes. Uh, November 17th, Neil Simon's Rumors premieres in New York City, a play probably based on the album rumors although i cannot yeah i I, uh i did a report on neil simon in high school one time i'm a big fan of neil simon's seems like old times movie with chevy chase and goldie hawn little underrated got a cult following but i recommend that movie to any fan of chevy chase or goldie hawn or anybody that likes that era interesting yeah i like chevy chase uh, November, you probably like November. You like the way she looks. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. November twenty third, Wayne Gretzky scores his six hundredth NHL goal. Dave, big fan, big fan of the show, Wayne Gretzky. Okay, it was his six hundredth goal that that uh, that night, right? Mm-hmm. Within thirty, try to guess how many goals Wayne Gretzky finished with. Think about it for a second. 88, he gets to 600. Okay. He plays, you know, into the late 90s. Okay. Um, you know, retires with the Rangers, obviously. Um, when he, did he start? He started in the early. Well, it doesn't matter. He's got 600. 600. And, so I can just go from here. All right. Yeah. So go from here. Here, I'll give you the exact retire date. Uh, his last season with the Rangers came in 1999. Okay. Uh, so basically, he would play eleven more seasons with diminished returns. Of course, his biggest season was he scored ninety-two goals in nineteen eighty-two, a record okay. that still stands to this day. Uh, but he is the leader. Uh, he has the most of all time, and I'll give you the second most. Uh, Gordy Howe has eight hundred and one goals scored. Okay. Uh, before you told me about Gordy Howe, I was gonna say eleven hundred, but I'm gonna go down. Good, good choice. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say like nine ninety, nine eighty. Ah, uh, you're a hundred off, so you missed it. Eight ninety four. Uh, good guess, though. Good try. That kind of yeah, yeah. Okay. Eight ninety four. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin, who I'm sure you've heard at least his name, um, has seven hundred and forty five goals. He's active. Got an outside chance of breaking it. Um, probably not, but he's got a shot at it if he can stay healthy. Good for him. That'd yep. be like how uh, when they say in the uh, Dallas, Texas has more people than the Pontiac Silverdome for WrestleMania. Like Wayne Gretzky fans are probably like, fuck this. November 25th, Chuck Berry pays $250 fine to resolve assault charges stemming from a fight in New York City. Must not have been much of a fight if they settled it for 250 bucks. Yeah, I heard he called his cousin Marvin <laughs> Barry for the money, too. A little, back, a little back to the future humor. November 25th, the 53rd Iron Bowl. Auburn beats Alabama 
eighteen to ten in Birmingham. Um, Auburn and Alabama play the Iron Bowl every year around this time, uh, and there's been some incredible um, games, including one that ended on a kick six, Dave, which is when at the last second Alabama tried a long field goal and it came up short, and Auburn fielded it essentially nine yards deep in the end zone and returned it 109 yards and went at the buzzer. Crazy. Sounds exciting. Yeah. Um, what else do we got here? A couple more, and then we're done with this month. Uh, November 30th, uh, more lawsuits for Mike Tyson. Uh, New York City Furrier sues Tyson for 92000 for non-payment on a purchase, which I totally believe happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, like, forgot or something. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yep, exactly. And uh, then, I, I had a, I had to pay for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because they give these people so much free shit. You know what I mean? These celebrities kind of reminds me of that uh, Sopranos episode where they're with uh, what's that actor's name with Christopher and Oh um, yeah, with uh, Sir, um, Sir Sir Kingsley Kingsley. Yep. Yeah. And they the steal the shit. they steal the bag of the the old lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, November thirtieth. We'll end with this: Kohlberg, Kravis, Rogers, and Company. By R.J. and Nabisco. Dave, how much did they buy Nabisco? How much did the owners of Nabisco cash out for here at the Nabisco end? is, that's the cookie uh, yeah. company, right? My yeah. cousin used to work for them. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a factory because obviously my cousin worked for them right here in, in New Jersey. Not too far from me. How much did, what, did they sell it for? Yeah, saying? so they cashed out. They sold it to Kohlberg, Kravis, and, Rod, and Roberts. That's on a pretty November thirtieth, uh, it's a big amount. Yeah, it's not millions. It's more than that. Oh, well, I was I was going to give you something in the millions. Five billion? No, listen to this, Dave. It's going to blow your mind. Twenty-five point zero seven billion U.S. dollars. Holy shit! What? What's their? Is that? Or do they make? They don't make Oreos, do they? Or is Oreo just Oreo? Um, that's because that would make sense. That would make sense. I'll look them up in a second. First, I want then, to see then it. if they make Oreos, then they're like Coca Cola. You know what I mean? It's it's a pretty big deal. So I can kind of see that. It's that's still it's astronomical though. No matter any which way you look at it. Um, let's see the inflation calculator here. Uh, twenty five. Oh, it's giving me dollars. I want billion, baby. Twenty five. All right, I can put some zeros in. So I need one, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. I mean, this is going to be virtually uncalculable. And then one, two, three. All right, calculate. Yeah, I won't even go up that high, the calculator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just spell out boobies and be happy. They made they, the they cashed in at the right place. Okay, so RJR Nabisco was a American conglomerate selling tobacco and food products headquartered in the Kellyon building in Midtown Manhattan. They stopped operating as a single entity in 1999, however. Both RJR as RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company and Nabisco are now part of Mondelez International and they still I exist. believe that was also uh Corporal Kirshner's jobber name RJ Reynolds or something very so close. So I that. guess the cigarette <laughs> and tobacco Part of this probably led most of the value there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Oh, God bless him. Nice little cash out there. All right. That is the news 
for no July, January, November, November of nineteen eighty-eight. You're getting that turkey brain. What's that stuff called? Tryptophan. Tryptophan. Steve Bannon tonight. Tryptophane, we don't yeah. know where we are. The news. Good that, one. That's the news. All right. Survivor Series, Dave, nineteen eighty-eight. So let's go through some background a little bit. So WrestleMania obviously gets going. Vince McMahon's all in in 1985, allegedly, on WrestleMania 1. It's on closed-circuit TV, pay-per-view a little bit. Um, and then through the uh, mid to late 80s, pay-per-view starts to grow. And there is um, WrestleMania 2, WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 4. And Jim Crockett decides that they're going to do a pay-per-view in between WrestleMania 3 and 4. In November, and it starts this big war uh, between the WWF and Jim Crockett and the pay-per-view companies, which eventually the pay-per-view companies stop putting up with. They say, you know, no more of this. But that was why the WWF created the Survivor Series, essentially to put another pay-per-view event on opposite of Starcade. And I think it was like, you know, Mr. McMahon, Vince McMahon is so like Americana. It's like, dude, they're not getting Thanksgiving. Yeah, You know what I mean? Yeah. And that happened. And people in, aren't spending their holiday watching, you know, Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. They're watching Hulk Hogan, brother. And that happened in 1987, and then in 1988, they ran it back. And not only did they run it back, they ran it in the same arena. Um, so almost one year later, we're recording on the anniversary of it, November 24th, 1988, Richfield Township, Ohio, in the Richfield Coliseum. A little bit lower attendance this year, uh, 13,500. I noticed that it wasn't wasn't quite a sellout. It's yeah, eighty percent, seventy five, eighty. That's Thanksgiving night. It's a hard. I mean, it's a hard sell. That's, and I they think had, it was a big night though back in the day to go out for. They had all seen it the year before though. Maybe you know twenty one thousand three hundred. They list year before, and this one. Remember the year before is Hulk's team against Andre's team. Right. They hadn't touched since WrestleMania three. Yeah. This year, you know, it's kind. It's cool for us, but it's kind of just like. The Twin Towers team against the Mega Powers team, like, great, we love Hogan, Macho, and Elizabeth, but we could go to our local arena and see Hogan against Big Boss Man next week. Sure. You know what I mean? And what they do uh, in this second Thanksgiving tradition is it's still five-on-five five matches. Um, and Which I prefer, yeah, to be honest I'm surprised in an era where there's so much, so many shows that they don't take advantage of just doing something different. And doing Survivor Series matches exclusively for the Survivor Series every year. Yeah, they had, they had one. Yeah, I actually watched the, uh, if you want to call it watched, the Survivor Series last week. Becky Lynch looked uh, phenomenal. And, yeah. you know, that kind of caught of my attention tushy, there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's a couple good matches. Big pro right, But, I mean. Becky Lynch. Is she really? Yeah. Huge. Like, a huge. Like, she knows, like, all the songs. She just doesn't I know the time and verses. You know what I mean? Like, she's a, a part of the Pearl Jam fan community, too. Um. Yeah, so it's five-on-five five matches, five-on-five, five, strive to survive. And uh, we're going to go through them. There's four of them. We'll go through them one at a time. Hulk's match is last, so we don't need to skip it and save it. But we'll go through each one. We'll go through the teams, and then we'll go through the um, go through the eliminations. There was no names for the teams yet. That would come in 89 uh, when the teams – or was it 90 that they started the team name? 89. When they started yeah. the four-on-four. Four. Yeah, four-on-four four with team names. So here we are, Thanksgiving night. Uh, everyone has had their turkey, watched their football. No night football, like we said back then, and we get... Um, that played a big part of it. You know what I mean? You have sports on all day, then yep. no sports. Yep, yep, yep. It was it was open. It was open. 
It's open for for wrestling. Perfect. Uh, and the first match is the Blue Blazer, Brutus Beefcake, Jim Brunzel, Sam Houston, and the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, and they go on to defeat the Honky Tonk Man, Ron Bass, Dangerous Danny Davis, Bad News Brown, and Greg Valentine with Jimmy Hart. Now, before you get, hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go sure. there. I'm gonna go there. Right. Um, this hey. card is loaded with replacements. Um, and Dave, as we go through the matches, you know me well. You knew yes. right where I was going there. <laughs> I know you're going there. So as we go through them, I'll read off the teams and the results, and then before we go to the eliminations, boom, you're in it. Tell me who replaced two in this match. I like it. Go for it. <laughs> Who replaced oh. two? Oh, okay, right now. Yeah. Uh, this one This one has one replacement. Uh, it was supposed to be the magnificent one, Don Morocco. He got fired on the uh, European tour. I believe they're over in Paris or somewhere like that. And uh, he had it out with Nick Bockwinkle, who was uh, an official for the WWF at the time. And he would check them for the drug test and actually look at their, their dicks while they're peeing. So they would call him the pecker checker. And he had a lot of heat. Like Arnold Scolan would do it, he really wouldn't look. So you could slip somebody else's pee in there or something like that. But Bachwinkle was, you know, he was very stern about it. And the guys were just going wild. A bunch of guys got fired because of this tour. Junkyard Dog, Morocco, and the Bulldogs. Uh, the Bulldogs obviously make this show, I think, because they couldn't fit another tag team in there. But uh, Morocco didn't. He was fired. He was uh, feuding with Valentine at the time. So obviously it's Valentine is uh, one of the guys on the heel team. And jumping Jim Brunzel is your replacement. So one replacement in this match, and it's a pretty good one to start. I think in 87 and 88, the first matches are both really good. Kind of almost like the uh, the Intercontinental division, I always I, I felt like, with these two shows. Uh, and let's run down the elimination. So the first wrestler out in 1 minute and 18 seconds. It didn't take long to get this bum out of there. Danny Davis eliminated by Beefcake. Any thoughts there? On a submission. Yeah, first guy that should go out. I mean, I like D- Dangerous Danny, but I mean, this is this is definitely his role, uh, you know, in there with the big boys, and this is definitely towards the end of his wrestler run, right? He's back as a ref. Uh, yeah, which should have never happened. What a disgrace that Jack Tanya <laughs> got him back in. Yeah, uh, it's being suspended for life. Yeah, uh, I guess plus really 10 only years. means uh, two years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim Brunzel is out next. He gets eliminated by Bad News, who's not for long in this world. Uh, but no surprise there. Uh, and a pinfall at five twelve, and I might as well just go it, through it before I send it back to you. Bad news is out okay. next. He bails uh, for the second straight year on the team after, after accidentally getting hit. Uh, he thinks it's on purpose, and he gets the hell out of there. Counted out at seven fifty. Second straight year. So I mean, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, hopefully, no one else ever asked this guy to be on their Survivor Series team. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's the next year that. Uh, <laughs> That it happens again. So it's two. Oh, this two is in the first row. year. Okay, first year. Eighty eight's yeah. the first year. Eighty nine, second year. Got it. Um, yeah. So he's out of there. Uh, thoughts on Brunzel going down and bad news, uh, then walking out. Uh, Brunzel is one. You know, they they announced that he's going to be part of the team. Like it wasn't like a surprise that Morocco wasn't there. It was announced on TV uh, a week or two prior. Uh, I believe that was in like mid October with those firings overseas. So, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff was in the can already where they're saying Morocco's on the show, etc. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you expect Brunzel to take the ghetto blaster and uh, and take the big one, two, three. Bad news is going on to a few with the Macho Man for the title on the house show circuit coming up right after this. They run the angle with Miss Elizabeth doing favors for Jack Tunney, brother. You know, and the brother love show, I believe that's that this weekend coming up. So, obviously, 
Uh, it's just perfect, Bad News walking out, because it goes with his character that he can't get along with nobody. They do it again next year. And also, he can't get eliminated anyway because they have to keep him good to go up against Macho Man for the title. So he has to look great. And obviously, if he's not going to win the whole thing, this is the only other way to go. Yeah, makes sense to me. Uh, next out is Sam Houston. Uh, Ron Bass does the honors. A pinfall at 10.09. Uh, Paula could not believe how little Sam Houston was. She's like, he's a wrestler? Um, it's always funny to hear her comments like that you know um how true they can be you know when it comes from such a place of innocence with her as opposed to maybe cynicism from us you know true yeah um what's next the blue blazer is eliminated by greg valentine in submission at 1229 thought that was cool seeing the figure four yeah getting somebody out with the figure four and turn the turn the pad to around um to uh, get the extra leverage there. Um, Beefcake and Honky Tonk Man get counted out uh, at 1544. Honky Tonk was the man who did the walk-off in 87, I was Yes, sir, of. with yeah. the belt, yep. Yeah, uh, when it was down to 3-1, to one, he got the hell out of there, which was I thought was genius booking. Two two different reasons, though. Honky Tonk, because he's cowardly, yep. bad news, because he fucking hates everybody. Doesn't like anyone, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of puts, well, after... Um, Warrior Warrior's in a little bit of a spot here because he, he's by himself now. Um, but no problem. Ron Bass is out first at 17.30. And then 20 seconds later, uh, Valentine follows him out at 17.50. Two pinfalls. The ultimate warrior is the sole survivor and the first uh, sole survivor of the night to get us started. Good match. I like this one. Uh, three stars for me. I liked it a lot. Three stars also, man. I forgot how much I liked this match. And you could tell at the end, Bass and uh, Valentine were kind of walking the warrior through some stuff. He was still pretty green at this time. I know he had the belt, but he wasn't really in too many, uh, you know, big matches, big pay-per-view matches. Besides running over the honky-tonk man and his little feud with Hercules. Before that, it wasn't much going on for the warrior, big stage-wise, at this time. And he finished both those guys off with, like, a weird double-axe handle, like, off-the-ropes kind of like. Hulk Hogan's move and no holds barred. Rip him, brother. He'd run at you with that double axe handle. And I thought that was kind of strange. He finished both guys off the same way. I think I seem like Bass and Valentine were telling him, "Let's go home. Let's get the fuck out of here." And uh, you know, you know, Warrior. You know, time could be could be yeah. a little sloppy. Yeah. But you know, he's he's going on to bigger and better things, obviously down the line. So you know, the veterans are setting him up. They're doing the right thing with them, obviously. And I, I just I love the match. You know what? I, I'm going to go three and a half. Okay. I really really yeah, love good this. Good pace. Rewatching it. Good pace. It's only 17 minutes. You know, it doesn't yeah, wear itself and, out. And it's nice seeing Outlaw. He didn't get to t- too much time to shine on the pay per views. What we did in the rest. He was around for a long time. He's around from like late '86 all the way up to uh, uh, early '89. And what was he really on? Not too much stuff. The WrestleMania Four Battle Royal. He's in this. He wasn't in the '87 Survivor Series. You know, he's in this Survivor Series. Not not on. Too much stuff, but a great wrestler, a great heel. I thought he could have worked with Hogan on an MSG show or a Philly show or Savage when he was champ, but none of that ever seemed to come into fruition. But uh, just just a good one. Like, it's weird that uh, Sam, a lot of people might think Sam Houston was a replacement, but actually, no, he was part of this. Uh, he was part of that team from the beginning because Davis was on the other side. They always had their little beef there, yep. Sam Houston and Davis, a little lower card feud going on but yeah three i'm gonna bump it up to three and a half i really enjoyed myself fair good grade all right next up the big tag team match um 
fantastic. 10 on 10. Uh, it's a second shot at this, so I feel like they filmed it a little bit better, a little bit easier to see the wrestlers kind of learn from some of the mistakes of the first show. 42 minutes and 12 seconds in total. Uh, the Powers of Pain, uh, the Barbarian, the Warlord, the Rockers, Janetti and Michaels, the Bulldogs. I don't want to cut you off. I'm sorry. Uh, Bass was in Survivor Series 87. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't say it. Fair Proceed. enough. Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid, Heart Foundation, Heart and Nightheart, and the Young Stallions, Jimmy Powers and Paul Roma, defeat Demolition, Axe and Smash, the Brainbusters, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, the Bolsheviks, Boris Zukov and Nikolai Volkov, the Fabulous Rougeos, Jacques and Raymond, and the Conquistadors, Dos and Uno, uh, Bobby Heenan, Mr. Fuji Slick, and Jimmy Hart are out there. Now, we call them bosses in my house, and me and Paula just kept saying too many bosses. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. So many bosses out there. Because those bosses, they get involved in the matches, and then next thing you know. And that was a theme throughout the night. So many bosses. You guys were onto something for sure. Yeah, uh, definitely a theme to the night. Um, all right, let's get it started. Raymond Rougeau is eliminated by Bret Hart by pinfall, 522 into the match. Now, the rumor there yeah. is that... Uh, oh, I should have checked. No, no replacements in this one, right? Or what? No replacements yeah. this one. The Bulldogs are on their way out. They were fired, but I think they, they let them go because it couldn't really... It'd be rough with throwing two guys together and yeah. this, this type of thing. Right, this you know, is their... It wouldn't really work. They're finishing their dates here. Yeah. But uh, the rumor is that, obviously, that big fight happened in uh, Indiana with Jacques Rougeau and Dynamite Kid about a month before this. And uh, the Bulldogs were on their way out. You can see Dynamite has the mustache here, and he's missing some of the teeth in the front, if you can look real close up. But they say the, the Rougeaus were, were out first to get them out of the building, get them out of here, because the Bulldogs are finishing up, and who knows what they're going to do. But you have them in there with Dynamite. You know, Dynamite snaps suplex and jock. Uh, uh, Davey Boy's pressing them. Seems like everything's okay. But, you know, maybe these guys are just being – you know, doing the right thing in the ring. Who knows what they're going to do after things, after the match, especially since they're leaving the promotion. So apparently the uh, Rougeau's got eliminated first, their bags were packed, and boom, off to Thanksgiving dinner in Montreal, brother. Absolutely. Jimmy Powers is out next. He's eliminated by Boris Zukov. Pinfall at fifteen twenty. So they went 10 minutes there in between eliminations. Uh, Boris Zukov. Boris making, making a nice show of himself here. Yeah, but he goes down next. Uh, Marty Gennetti, pinfall, 1809. Uh, Bret Hart, kind of a surprise here, I thought, when the uh, Tully Blanchard from the Brainbusters pins him, 2307. Yeah, he pinned himself, one of those bridges where his shoulders were down. Yep. And Tully got his up. Yeah, I uh, thought that was really cool. Another duo elimination at 2757. The Rockers and the Busters uh, are just brawling to the back. Uh, brawling, brawling, brawling. Uh, Dynamite Kid is next. Smash pins him 36-02 and sort of a sad end to the career of the British Bulldogs in the uh, in the promotion. Davey will be back. Dynamite won't be. Isn't it so weird seeing like the Bulldogs and the Rockers together on the same team? Yeah. Like You don't really mix those two errors together. But yeah, there it is. Bulldogs, Rockers, and Hearts, which are all in my top five when Place to Be Nation did their greatest tag team list. Yes, sir. Uh, Smash is eliminated next by count out. We'll go through all this in a second. By count out, 39-33. And then Uno is pinned by the Barbarian at 42-12. The Powers of Pain, the Barbarian, and the Warlord are the winners. Okay. First off, incredible match. Incredible mix of talent. 
So many of my favorites. Good wrestling, good nostalgia. It's got everything I want in a match. Gave it a lot of time, but it doesn't wear itself out. For being 42 minutes, it didn't feel that long. At least not to me. I guess you have the angle kind of breaking it up a little bit. It's all of five stars for me. Both tag team matches in 87 and 88 are both on my five-star list because I just love them so much. Um, such such a cool thing. Um, this is probably the better of the two because watching it, I just love the... First of all, I love two things about it. One, I love the ongoing jokes about the conquistadors lasting as long as they did and the gambling implications there. 101, Jess. Love all that between Jesse and... Um, and uh, gorilla, and then of course the angle. So what happens is, and now this is the most debate, one of the most debated things. It is a little convoluted, but it's not as bad as people say. Look at demolition as champions in the mind of Mister Fuji. We're no longer respecting his authority. He was no longer the leader of the team. They were leaders of the team, and in an attempt at power, which is what. Wrestling managers exist to obtain money and power. In the interest of power, Fuji turns on them, pulls the rope, smash falls out. Axe comes around. There's hit with the cane, a falling out. They go back at Fuji. Fuji gets knocked out. They leave. It's a breakup between the, the demolition and Fuji. Sensing an opportunity to elevate their career from where it is. It's kind of a lukewarm babyface team going nowhere. Powers of Pain come down. Save Fuji. Wipe his suit. You're all right, guy. And Fuji now, probably premeditated that he's going to take them under their wing. He's got a new team, which he feels will beat Demolition. He'll get the belts back. He'll have the power. He'll regain the upper hand. I think and they listen. They'll, they'll listen to And him. they'll listen. I think it's brilliant storytelling. And I know it's hard because you need the commentary. It's a little hard, I think, for the live audience to kind and of understand what was going on. I kind of got it at the time. Did you? Uh, maybe I'm giving myself a little bit too much credit. Maybe not to this level of explanation, but I kind of understood. And they told the story as it went on very well, you know, uh, through the Cindy's and everything else. Um, you know, it was clear to me that Demolition didn't listen to Fuji anymore. And Fuji wanted a team that listened to him. And I think on the Cindy's they should have been switch. before before this. Jesse saying, "Hey, uh, McMahon, I'm hearing that you know right. they should have sprinkled in, in sprinkled they in didn't some do any of that. Yeah, that they should have done yeah. that. Agreed. Afterwards, yeah, like I get it now. I get what you're saying, but I'm gonna give it four and three quarter stars because of my own personal confusion. The match is amazing. A four and three quarter star. It's amazing. But at the time, like I said, we had all the LJNs out. We're watching this live. I'm, we would have the good guys in one pile and the bad guys in another. I remember at first taking Mr. Fuji's LJN out from the bad guys and throwing it over to the good guys. We thought Mr. Fuji turned face only for a moment because when they picked him up and the, that really cool Powers of Pain music was playing and it seemed like, okay, then Demolition ran back down, then their music came on. So it was like, okay, wait a minute, now they're the faces. Then once you saw the promo, like it, it, it all came together, but it was just like... And I remember, like people, people saying, "Well, they're the champs. Why would he?" Confusing. Like the first, it's very unlike See, WWF. That's the one WWF thing. WWF was very that, simple. That's the one argument I always hated was why would he leave the champs? Because he just thinks he's gonna. 
It makes sense. Get the belts it back. Makes, He's going to overtake It makes a lot them. more sense coming from your mouth than Mr. Fuji's mouth, though. It's not like it's Bobby Heenan explaining right. it. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, right. So I think that's a problem, too, coming from... Mr. Fuji with the broken English, and, you know, he's not really – he's a funny promo, but he's not a great promo. Fair enough. So, yeah, but, I mean, it took away a court. It would have been five-star for me, I, but I still love the moment. I'm just trying to go back as the eight-year-old watching it live, being the first time I was kind of confused. I was kind of like, you know, I do everything, you know, at the time, thinking I'm, you know, this big deal. And I got a little confused with this, but I took Fuji out of that good guy guy pile, put him back in the bad guy pile. You know, yeah, but uh, I wasn't, but I was doing it slowly. I wasn't too sure. You know what I mean? Uh, if it was two year, a year or two later, and I saw Demolition at the end with their music playing, all right, okay, they're the faces. You know, but I was still only eight years old here. So, you know, it was a, a little confusion. And I think the, the conquistadors were left in at the very end because now, since the powers of pain saved Fuji, now they're heels. So if they run over a heel team like the Brain Buster or the Rougeos who are hated, they're going to get cheered. If they do it to the conquistadors at the very end, I know they're heels, but are they really dastardly heels? Not really. Nobody really cares. They're jobbers. So it's the new heel powers of pain running over just the conquistadors at the end. So that's why they were left to take the squash at the end, in my opinion. Okay, not bad. I mean, to me, it was just as simple as at the time, oh, wow, Fuji turned on demolition. It makes, it, it makes a shitload of sense coming out of your mouth, brother. But yeah. like I'm saying, it's a little hard there. Yeah, Mean Gene uh, was was helping with it when, when you know when they did the promo a little little later, and then when they do the update segment on Superstars that Saturday, it really starts to all piece together. And what a good move because Demolition, they're they're in my mind when I think of Demolition, I think of faces, not heels. Yeah, they had they're a tremendous. Turn they had a turn them. They turn they turned yeah. because of reaction. You know, the crowd just want they just the crowd wanted to cheer for them. There's nothing yeah, they, nothing and, they and, could do anymore. And they could get more heat on them. They're a little smaller, a little more better wrestlers than the Powers of Pain. Well, Barbarian's a good wrestler, but you know what I mean. It was kind of they look kind of a little more like heels if they're going to have this big run together. All right, next up, Andre the Giant, Dino Bravo, Mister Perfect, Rick Rude, and Harley Race with Bobby Heenan and Frenchie Martin defeated Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Campatera, Scott Casey, and Tito Santana. Dave, I know there's no way Scott Casey was planned for this year, right? What's the uh, what's the subs in this match? Before I get to that, I just wanted to make a sad note here that the entire team, uh, Andre's team, including the managers, are all no longer with us. And I have a, I have, a, I have a moment to talk about with that in a minute. Oh, too. very good, yeah, very good. We'll get to that. Okay, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the Scott Casey uh, that was originally for the Junkyard Dog, and like I said before, Junkyard was um, fired after that overseas tour of the Heat with Nick Bockwinkle as the agent. The guys were peeing in a double decker bus. And it was coming down the steps onto people coming home from work. They were going wild over there overseas. And uh, the dog uh, found himself right in the middle of all that. He was fired, and it was announced on television that he would be replaced by none other than B. Brian Blair. As we saw Jim and Jim Brunzel in the uh, opening match, and the Killer Bees were just separated for a reason why. I don't know. I don't know what the reason was for that. But they were, they were separated and made into lower mid-card guys. And uh, Brun- Blair left as well but right before this it was never announced he didn't want to do a tv job to the brain busters on a taping uh that's that's what that's what the rumor and innuendo is anyway and so when you you order the pay-per-view and you see the face team coming down the aisle you got scott casey you know that's that's definitely a trivia question there of uh scott casey was ever on a wwf pay-per-view but uh there he is 
So that's the story there. And God, do I love that all the heels, even Andre, came down to Dino Bravo's music. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> really, really, really good, entertaining match here. It starts off with uh, Compatera being eliminated by Rick Rude via pinfall at 818. So they gave him a lot of time, uh, kind of established the match, work it out in the beginning. Uh, Scott Casey's next. He's eliminated by Dino Bravo on a pinfall at 927. Uh, Harley Race is eliminated next by Tito, pinfall at 1319. Uh, and then Tito is eliminated by Andre, pinfall at 1440. Uh, Duggan's disqualified for hitting someone with his stick. I forget who it was. Uh, 21-22. Now, here's the, mo- here's the moment where it's Jake by himself uh, versus uh, four. Is it four? Yeah, four guys, right? Yeah, Harley's out. That's it. Harley's out. So it's Jake versus the four. And me and Paul are watching this. We're having snack. It's late at night. We're watching on the iPad. And a couple things. First of all, she's loving this match. Really well done because watching it through her eyes, she's loving every second. Secondly, she goes to me, Dad, I know Andre died. Um, but And I forget which of the four she mentioned. Oh, it was Rick Rude. She said, but Rick Rude's not dead, right? And... I stuttered, and I was like, no, he's still alive, which I should probably should have said yes. I don't know why I didn't. But then I look at the rest of the team, and I realize every single one of them is dead. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I hope she doesn't keep asking because I'm going to have to keep telling her. She knew Andre's dead kind of from the Wrestling Collectibles show when they did right. and and from his movie, his it, documentary, too. We watched his documentary, too. And that one, I think, is not that hard to take for her because he's such a big guy and she kind of makes sense to her. But Seems like it's been around forever, too. Like yeah, he had a career before. I just think the Rick Rude one, I just wasn't ready to do it. Not in that moment. But um, Mr. Perfect, he should still be alive. Come I know. On. Both of those guys, for sure. Yeah. Um, but Rick Rude goes down. Pinfall at 28-45. Uh, Andre's disqualified for choking the life out of Jake, who then gets pinned. It looks uh, so real, man. Brutal. Yeah. By a very stuff. opportunistic Mr. Perfect. I mean, it's 29-39 and 30-03. Mr. Perfect just gets right in the ring, goes down, pins Jake. One, two, three, makes Mr. Perfect and Dino Bravo. Uh, they're survivors on this night in the third match. Really, really good. 4.75 for me. Amazingly yeah. done. As Just about as good as you can do it in this format. Um, I'm so happy we d- we're doing this show. Because I, mean, I know this, this this show very well, but to actually sit down and start, I'm doing a podcast on this, so I can't be looking at my phone while I'm watching it, can't be doing this, doing other things. I actually have to watch this, like you're watching it for the first time. I fucking love this. Yeah. So good. Four and a half for me. So good. And the ending was just just how, like, and it's, showca- it's showcasing Mr. Perfect. He's not even in his singlet yet. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he's, he's going on to, to great things. It's just, man, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, down to, like, the whole thing they say. What happens? Like, they talk about on primetime, the weeks leading up. Well, Gorilla, what happens if it's Jake against all of them? Or what happens if it, and yep. here it is. And it ha- it, it is. happened. Yep. And this is how it ended. And I like that they, they did disqualify Andre, but then, boom, Mr. Perfect comes in and gets the three count. I'm, I like the interaction between Andre and Tito. You know, two guys you wouldn't think of ever having an interaction together in the ring. And they're going at it. And even in the in a promo, I believe that was only on Coliseum Video after this match, Andre, you know, he calls that he singles out Tito Santana 
and he calls him Frito Santana. Frito Santana, even you. And that that just that pops the shit out of me. I mean, he's he's known this guy forever, and he's called him Frito Santana. You know, just like the world world yeah, heavyweight title. Guys. Yeah, it's a, it's an Andreism. Boy, did I love this! I couldn't 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 take my eyes off it. And the Bravo music, miss, uh, such an odd couple, Bravo and Mister Perfect winning. Yeah, you know, so surviving. It's kind of forget like this is never talked about th- th- this match really, and it's just so good. 30, really, really good. Thirty great minutes. Um, Harley Race, Harley Race, in that he's still in that in between. Like he came back uh, to the WWF after that big injury, where then King Haku took his place as the king. So now he's like kind of with the brain, but he's not. And on TV, a little after this, he starts. Uh, it actually happened at the Philly Spectrum. He kicks the brain out from ringside, or the brain's doing commentary, and he goes and has a beef with him, and it leads to that uh, King versus King match at Royal Rumble '89. I thought it was cool seeing Harley in that role. Two other quick things here. One, I was glad that they avoided the temptation of having Andre be counted out because he ran away from the snake. Um, I hate that. That shit. makes him I hate look that. weak. Instead, they make him look strong. They do the spot with the snake later, but it's really just more Andre's getting the fuck out of there because he's done his damage. Kind of. A thing. I, I, I get they had to do it to have the feud. I get it, but it, it just bothered me. It'd be like Hogan, you know, Hollywood Hogan being. Well, he was a little more. A cowardly heel. It was kind of a little more okay for Hollywood Hogan, but Andre, I, I, it was hard to accept him to be cowardly. And then one thing about watching all this stuff through Paula's eyes and with her, I kind of judge how timeless certain things are, how well they hold up, based on her reaction to him, especially as she's getting older here. And this, I mean, held up as well as anything we've ever watched. Yeah, this is this show, man. It's damn near perfect, especially for all the replacements. And a lot of reason, not a reason for the replacements, a reason why you have like Sam Houston's on the show and conquistadors and stuff. Uh, this one last year, you know, 87, I wish 87 was last year <laughs> in reality, yeah, but yeah. in 87, the year before this, they had the three men's matches and a women's match. Right. So now there's, there's no women's match. Such so you got beautiful gotta sque- women. Yeah. Such beautiful women. You got to squeeze in. You got to squeeze the roster dry to get four men's match out of this. So that's why the next year you got five matches, but four on four, and you put the tag teams in those matches. And I think it kind of chopped the balls off of it a little bit. You know what I mean? I thought this way was a, a little a little more fun. Everybody's here tonight, you know. Yeah, eighty-seven and eighty-eight are at a different level. Are the best. I like yeah. ninety. I like the grand match of survival. Yeah, that's uh, I don't cool. like '89. I I love Hulk's team, Hulk, Jake, and Demolition. That's just the coolest team ever. But they they, they perform terribly. Yeah. I don't know who booked that. The whole team gets disqualified except for Hulk. It makes Hulk kind of look bad. That match. So I don't like uh, Survivor Series '89. But '87, uh, '88, and '92 a degree are, are, are those are my Survivor Series. All right. Uh, the main event: Hercules, Hillbilly Jim, Coco Beware, Hulk Hogan, and Randy Savage with Elizabeth defeat Akeem, the Big Boss Man, Haku, the Red Rooster. And Ted DiBiase with Bobby Heenan, Slick, and Virgil. Too many bosses. Uh, 29-10, nearly a half an hour, and it ends with the Mega Powers. Uh, Posing with Elizabeth and a glare from the Macho Man as Hulk uh, spins Elizabeth around in a hug of celebration. Uh, At least she had her pants on this time. Yeah, we'll get into it in a second, but uh, replacements here or no? Uh, let me think here in my brain. No replacements. No replacements. Everybody's here. So we're good. We go to the eliminations and we start with. I think you know, there's not as many replacements as it seems like, but just Scott Casey. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It makes it and the, the, the B's split up and 
two reveal. It was a, a double replacement with the Scott Casey. Makes it really get into that you know that feel. Uh, Red Rooster's down first as he should be eliminated by Savage. Pinfall at six eleven. Crowd goes insane. Yeah, he when eats, Savage gets that three, he eats the elbow. Uh, there, right? Yes. He's the elbow, brother. Yep, yeah, Hulk, the elbow. Hulk set it up. Yep. Uh, Hillbilly Jim is down next. Akeem pins him at 959. Uh, and then Coco Beware is pinned by Big Boss Man. So both uh, halves of that tag team get a pinfall. That's at 1145. Yeah, Boss Man was pissed off from that drop kick from the face from Coco at SummerSlam. A little retaliation. Yep. Hercules uh, is eliminated next by Ted DiBiase. Pinfall at 1635. Uh, Ted DiBiase is then eliminated by Savage by pinfall at 1657. Uh, Bossman is first eliminated by countout at 2324. Akeem is eliminated by disqualification at 2501. And then finally, Haku is eliminated by Hogan. Pinfall, 30 minutes and 10 seconds. Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan are the survivors. Now, here's what actually happens, though. Uh, at one point, Hulk Hogan gets um, tied to the ropes by the by the handcuffs, handcuffed to the ropes. Um, and uh, there's a long spot with Slick kind of teasing him with the key. And Elizabeth is involved. And Elizabeth eventually gets the key out of Slick's pocket after he gets beat up. And Hulk comes out. And it's a interesting look at the mega powers because Macho Man's in the ring getting his ass beat while Hogan is tied to the ring, and Macho Man actually goes to the corner at one point looking to tag in on instinct, and Hogan's not there, and there's this kind of doubt. It's the very beginnings of the kind of subtle nudgings uh, that there could be a problem here with this pairing. Um, Planting those seeds. Yeah. Hulk came down to his own music. Um, Savage's team came down. Everyone in Savage came down to Savage's, and then obviously Hulk must pose to his music at the end here, so... Again, there's some reasons for questioning, and we played the the clip in the beginning from the it's, that's actually from Coliseum Home Video. Dave, you can talk about how you thought it should have been on the pay per view, but um, Jesse, very instrumental, kind of at stirring the pot and getting everyone's grinds going here. But that's the match. I'll give it four point two five. Uh, very good. Not as good, maybe maybe not maybe the worst of the four. Um, but that's not. I think a, it's not, yeah. But that's not a bad thing. I mean, they're all great. So I mean, they're all in the fours. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that the the tag one is five for me, so I love it so much. And the other three are all between four point two five and four point seven five. Whatever you want to give them is fine with me. You know, but that's yeah, I gave I, this. That's where I am. Gave this one four, a little above the the first match, I believe. Did I give? It, I think I gave it three and a half. But. Um, yeah, I mean this. This obviously is 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 to enhance the uh, the the mega powers big break up that everybody could see coming, no matter what. But just how, you know, how are they going to do it? And uh, really, there wasn't too much uh, seeds planted up up until this point. So that's why that Coliseum video thing kind of caught me off guard. Because what's the tape come out three weeks after the event? Yeah, you know, probably well, before Christmas, but not quite. Yeah. yeah, it's well before the Royal Rumble where they really started getting each other's face. You know, when Hulk eliminated. Macho Man, that was on January 15th, 89. So, like, why do it if it's just going to come out before Royal Rumble anyway? Just for, I don't know. Maybe uh, I really don't have an answer for that. I have no idea why they wouldn't put it on the... Well, the uh, reason is because you, you just there's no time for Jesse to get there to do it before yeah. the show goes off the air. That's, I mean, then, then why even do it? You know what I mean? I, I don't know. 
But uh, it was still cool. You know, it's a cool little, t- little tidbit to have that a lot of people that just taped the pay per view off off pay per view wouldn't go rent the tape and would you know wouldn't know about it. Like me, like I found about this uh, quite, uh, quite some time afterwards. And um, yeah, the match is good. It's what you expect. You know, Hillbilly and Coco out out quick. The Rooster out quick. Um, I love the shenanigans. I love how Hulk got you know handcuffed and everything and you know savage can't tell that he's handcuffed doesn't know what's going on so you know he's getting worked over and elizabeth and hulk work together and get hulk on handcuffed win the match so it's kind of like savage was in peril he had nothing to do with the victory he was you know besides not getting pinned you know it was elizabeth and hulk that that uh you know saved the day and everything so then hulk picked up and gave elizabeth a big hug in the ring like i said she had her pants on this time at least and, uh, you know, you see that look in the macho man's eye, brother, what's going on here? So, uh, yeah, just just classic, classic stuff. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything in the match. I like that Haku was in there till the very end, you know, one of my all-time favorites. And uh, just, just this card, man, just incredible, incredible, incredible pay-per-view. Right yeah, down the line. Like really I said, great. four stars here, and it's just that whole mega power story, man, it's going. And you, you know what's coming. Yeah, I think I was with you where the first one was in the three and a half to three point seven five range. You know, about five for the tag, four point seven five to five for the tag. Then, you know, again a high four for the third match and a lower now, four for the fourth. I match. knew I loved the I knew I loved the tag. I the third know, match was a sleeper for me. I didn't realize it was yes. as good as it was. Exactly the same. I was almost like, eh, I, I pop when they all come down to Bravo's music because I forgot about that. Then I was kind of like in that mode where, ah, uh, I still got to watch, you know, 25 minutes of this before I get to Hogan's match. And it was like, dude, I was just like glued to the TV. Like, this is amazing. Amazing match. So, yeah, that, that, that was a sleeper one. But, well, you know what? I, I think I might like this better than 87 that now that we've done both shows. I don't know if it's just the mood I'm in right now because we're doing this around Thanksgiving. I, I love this. Well, yeah, I think Love it's better because it. you take the women's match out and put another men's match in. There you go. You yeah, know, that, so. that's what did it. That's what did it. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. Uh, we're going to finish up with some plugs, some emails, and we're going to tell you about the first episode of December, the last of the 24-inch podcast. We'll be right back. I am a real American. Fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Four inch podcast back one last segment for uh, this show a great one the Survivor Series uh, 1988 two more shows left this year we'll talk about them in a second uh, but first some plugs don't forget you can find this episode and all episodes of the 24 inch podcast on our SoundCloud page it's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters you can also find us on Instagram we're at the number two the number four underscore inch underscore podcast on twitter at number two number four inch podcast 
email us, gmail at number two, number four inch podcast at gmail.com. And please join our Facebook group. It's delightful. Uh, just search 24 inch podcast on Facebook, go to groups, and you'll see us there. And you can request an invitation. Why is our SoundCloud page sports casters.com? Well, because our brother podcast is the Sportscasters uh, at sports uh, underscore casters for information on that. On Twitter, email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. My most recent episode uh, was an interview I did with Greg Wyshynski, the puck daddy, uh, who was originally on episode two of the Sportscasters back in 2011. I like that uh, name. He returned, and then also Andrew Marchand. Uh, the sports media writer for the New York Post uh, was on to talk about sports media. Um, two shows left this year, uh, including a really exciting interview with James Andrew Miller, uh, which is one that Dave will want to listen to because it's not sports. Uh, hmm. James Andrew Miller is one of the most successful authors of oral history uh, books. Uh, one, oral history. Yes, one he did on Saturday Night Live was his first. I got a couple of girls down the street that Do took you? a couple lessons. Yeah, yeah. good, good. Good, good contributors, or absolutely, yeah. yeah I've had some uh, decent oral history in my life as well, but not as decorated, I'm sure, as someone like Hollywood Dave. Yeah, well, uh, he started with a don't sat- judge a book by its cover. Saturday Night Live book, uh, which does have a couple of comments about Saren's main event uh, in it, uh, and then he did uh, an ESPN one, which you know, so related to sports there. Then he did one on CAA, the big uh, agency out in California. And his new one, which I have, it's still under embargo until it's released on Tuesday. But I have mine a few days early. HBO's Ruthless Pursuit of the New Frontier, Tinderbox uh, by James Andrew Miller. It's 900 pages uh, that I have to somehow read before I do the interview with James Andrew Miller. Shit. But he makes his return to the sportscasters. Also, Dana O'Neill. Uh, an author of a book called The Big East, and Dave Shaughnessy, a Hall of Fame sports writer from Boston, will also be on, and a few more names uh, to finish up season eleven, but the tenth year. Of the I'm gonna, I'm gonna think, I'm gonna think of you reading those 900 pages for a podcast when uh, I don't feel like sitting through a Spectrum show or something. Exactly, <laughs> 900 you know, like, pages. I got it easy. I have three books I have to read the next two weeks. Better get the Cliff Notes, brother. and one of them is 900 pages, and these are not. Big letters, either. Uh, don't forget about greetings from Allentown, our friend Peter, who this podcast is dedicated to. Hopefully, we did the show proud, Peter, at GF Allentown Pod for not only the greetings from Allentown podcast, but also uh, greetings from Allentown Live with Keithy. Uh, check out our buddy there. All right, I've been a I've been a loyal listener to that show for God, I guess since it started. It feels like three or four years. The best show. best wrestling podcast with one guy in the world. Greetings from Allentown. All right, sure. uh, emails. Let's go to that. Dave, you got anything? Do we have any of our regulars? Uh, our sweetheart, Tim Manjone out in California, or uh, Hulk's brother, Kevin. What do we got in your yeah, Tim, Tim Manjone possibly could be in hiding. Okay. So uh, instead, he does that once in a while. No, actually, I did He locked and shut the front door. No way in or out. No way in, no way out. Right. Uh, but we do got the great state trooper. From New Jersey, Kevin Hogan. Remember this: if you ever pull anybody over, any we all our twenty-four inch podcast listeners in New Jersey better get some kind of a card. Say, wouldn't that have been crazy? Get pulled over by Kevin Hogan. I got okay. Pulled over when I was in New Jersey, and it was Kevin that did it. Yeah, (laughs) he recognized your voice, and then you give him the license. Gave him the license. That'd be wild. Oh, really? This is your lucky day. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure it would definitely be a lucky day, without a doubt. Kevin's a good guy. All right, Kevin, and since you're such a good guy and uh, you hold the key to my license at times, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to read your whole question. Uh, guys, is it just me or did it seem like Jim Brunzel was a shoehorned into that card? Uh, Kevin, I think I answered that before. Yeah, uh, it was, it was Morocco. Just not just that. Yeah. yeah. He has two questions. I'll answer this first. So it was supposed to be Morocco, you know, uh, like we said earlier, and then Morocco got fired overseas by the pecker checker, the great Nick Bockwinkel. Uh, second part of Kevin's question. Also, I remember the Killer Bees being over when I was a kid, but do you think that the WWE missed an opportunity by not having, jumping, Jim Brunzel either team up with or feud with Leaping Lanny Poffo? Uh, I do remember the Killer Bees being over very much, too. My friend Anthony Pagano, Kevin Hogan, you know him well, was obsessed with the Killer Bees. He tried to make the mask. I remember when the LJNs didn't come with the mask, he was he was upset about that. Actually, he was trying to make masks for, for the dolls, not for himself. And, uh, yeah, they, they were very over. I think it just, you know, we we had such an influx of teams at the time, you know, and and. and teams had long reigns that there was just wasn't time for everybody but it would have been nice to see the bees uh get a title ring so i think at a, uh, for a time there they were the most popular team just beneath the british bulldogs i'd say for in 85 86 there those was days one thing that bothered me about them i didn't like how they used heel tactics i didn't like how they switched the mat that would piss me off kind of it was it was it was very heelish but i yeah. guess you could kind of they could kind of make excuse for it that the heels did something first but uh yeah it was definitely heelish that I doubt I agree. And the team with Pafo, uh, I don't know. I think Blair was a, a better part. It was a very good partner for him. I don't, I don't. Or feuding with Pafo would have been a pretty good match. Maybe when, when by the time uh, Lanny became the genius and moved up the card, Brunzel was pretty much a jobber. That's unfortunate that he he became a jobber. Such yeah. a good wrestler. But uh, it definitely would have been a good match. Yeah, I agree with it there. And they could have put a little angle behind it. I don't see why not. A team, no, but as. Where the genius against Brunzel, if he kept Brunzel as some kind of an insect, some kind of a gimmick, you know, I think it may have worked. What do you think? I don't know if this is where Kevin's going here, but I just think that there needed to be more done with Leaping Lanny pre the genius. You know, mm. so I don't know if he's just thinking, oh, this is maybe an opportunity to do more here. Maybe put these two guys. I wonder if that's the impetus for this question. Is he coming at it thinking, you know, Leaping Lanny's underrated? Because you know I love Leaping Lanny. Yeah, I, know I you think know. he's a wonderful person. Um, I think he's had an incredible burden of having to try to answer for the Macho Man for many years when the Macho Man's not here. And I thought he's handled it with grace and with respect and honor. Or with glory and renown. Yeah, he's a good man. And uh, he was a good wrestler and a great athlete who wasn't Randy. You know, it's a lot like my family. I was a great hockey player, but I was not Anthony. (laughs) You know what I mean? Anthony was a different level. Talking uh, to Owen, ben- Owen Bennett over here, bro. Yeah, exactly. I was a really good start as the older brother. You know, I was all Buffalo high school hockey in my senior year, you know, first team, but I was not Anthony. You know, Anthony was Mr. State. I was Mr. City. Uh, and I think that was a lot of what happened to Leap and Lanny. He wasn't the macho man. Um, so what could he be? And maybe this is a thought from Kevin. Oh, maybe he could be in this team because I think these guys go together. Um, I think, like Dave said, that the Killer Bees, Brunzel and Blair, they already have their thing. So I think you kind of let them go and do that. But I agree. What else could they have done with Lanny? How could he have done more? And um, the role he filled was specific, and he did it well and with uh, dignity. And I've never heard that he complained or whatever, and his poems are great and all that. 
and he got a lot of airtime. I mean, he was on a ton a of Cindy's. Um, so maybe in the end it worked out for him. But, yeah, when I hear his question, I think, what could have they done more with Lanny? And right now I don't have an answer for it, but it's maybe something we can ponder. And, Kevin, get back to us. Is that kind of where you were going or were you thinking something different? But that's kind of my answer there. And I, I also always thought he should definitely should have had an LJN even before he was the genius. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they made Corporal Kirshner. They made Outback Jack. You know, not, not everybody was Hogan and Andre the Giant. So they made some of the lower card guys. He could have came with the frisbee and everything. Yeah. I think that would have been a would have been a really cool figure. Yeah, I'll I think bet. they missed out yeah. on that one. What a bust he is! That was, uh, yeah, that was a pretty big bust. Kevin, stay safe out there, buddy. Um, yes, sir. All right, we're going to the Facebook page. Dave and I, one of us, will post um, a few days before we jump into this, and uh, people comment. And I want to give a shout out to Chet for sticking up for the Hulk in the comments. We had uh, <laughs> we had Chad Gregoritz Gregoritz Gregoritz. I think it's Gregoritz. Good guy. Gregoritz got a little yeah. nasty with his language towards Hulk, and Chad had to set him straight. Yeah, brother. So, uh, Chad Gregoritz, be careful with your Hulk comments there, or Chad will check you. Um, Jamal Artis says, "Which team was your favorite of the night?" Uh, after 1988, we got no more tag team matches. Should they have kept doing? Tag team only matches. All right, two questions. I'll start with the second part. Yes, they should have never stopped doing these tag team matches, especially not when they had so many teams in the division in the late 80s and 90s. Absolutely should have been more of them. Disappointing that they stopped them. They're the best thing about the first two Survivor Series are the two tag matches. Uh, what was my favorite team of the night? Um, probably the face tag team, because like I said, it had three of my top ten tag teams of all time on one team with the Bulldogs, the Hearts, and the Rockers. So it's hard for me not to pick them uh, just based on that. And the underdog story of the Conquistadors which stole my heart that night because of their gambling odds. Well, I guess they were on the the other team, though. Um, This is a cool show. But yeah, this is a cool show. No, I'll I'll go with the face team in the tag match as my favorite, I guess. Uh, Okay. Yeah, the first part of the question, uh, yeah, of course I wish they kept going on with the... uh, the tag team elimination matches. That's a big key to what made 87 and 88 great pay-per-views, like I said before. But I think why they got away from it, they were trying to showcase more matches instead of just saying, oh, order this pay-per-view for four matches. The year before, three matches and a women's match. They wanted to have Dusty's team against Bossman's team, Roddy's team against Rude's, Hogan's against this one, Savage against that one, Andre against that. It's more to advertise. Oh, look at all this shit. So four on four with the tag teams mixed in, there's more to advertise, goes quicker. No, you know, casuals don't get bored with it. I don't think it worked out. I like the old way better, but I think that's why they did it. And the second part of your question, my favorite team from this show, I'm not going to go with the Hogan team. I'm going to surprise everybody. I love that Andre team. I love that mm, the Minnesota team. boys, yeah. Rick Root, Rick Root and Mr. Perfect are together. And Mr. Perfect's just starting out. You know what I mean? In the company, you got the King Harley Race, one of the all-time great professional wrestlers, one of the greatest of all time, in there with Andre on the same team. You know what I mean? Then throw in, you know, the strongest man in the world, Dino Bravo, into the mix. I think you got a great team. And I love that. I just love that match so far. That, that You asked me two days ago, I would have said that's my least favorite match on this card. Now it's my favorite. That's yeah, a great so one. you never know. Our Never friend Mick, Mick Price is more of a comment than a question. He says, 
the affiliate podcast, Jeff Allentown's favorite show. We mentioned it. And honestly, it's become one of my favorites as well. It was just a legit fun ride of a show. The main event drags a bit with the key drama, but the resolution is excellent as is a follow-up. Okay, I could see that a little bit. I didn't mind it. Uh, But good call, Mick. Good to see you. I love having your support and having you as a listener. Thank you. Another great guy. Thank you, Mick. Uh, Fellow Atlanta Braves fan Jay Hinchy uh, checks in. This guy gets a bad rap, this Jay Hinchy, sometimes for some reason. I'm into him. Uh, but he's always welcome on this 24-inch podcast. He's, he's, he's great with the current stuff. He tells it like it is. Yeah, good for him. In my opinion. All right, Jay, you're, we're, we're a fan of you here. You're over with us. Uh, did you think it was odd Mr. Fuji turned on Demolition, who were the tag team champions for the Powers of Pain? We talked about this. No, it wasn't odd because for Fuji, he craved two things, power and money. And he was only getting one of the two with Demolition, the money. He wanted the power. He wanted to take the power back. And in his mind... He could get the money with the power all in one by just making a quick switch and turning on Demolition, who in his mind was only great because of him. So remember, if there's anything if there's anything bigger than Fuji, then if there's anything bigger on Fuji than Axe and Smash, it's his ego. And his ego told him he's the reason they're successful. And they were wrong to not to to try to take the power from him. So he's gonna turn on them. Go with the powers of pain who are also big and bad and strong and certainly capable. And he's going to get the belts back, which will bring the money, but he'll have the power. And it was about the power for these guys. They're the bosses, as we call them in our house. And it was about the power. So that's my answer to that one. Dave? Yeah, like I said before, I'll keep this a little brief because I said it before. But I agree with Steve Bennett to a point. I think they should have uh, had some dissension a little bit on superstars before it, or just maybe Jesse saying something. Hey, right. man, that's I hear more that. of a booking issue, though. We're talking yeah. kind of more of a kayfabe, Fuji, oh, kayfabe. Well, yeah, you know, Fuji's motivation here. Yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, I'll take it. It was, it was, it was a little hard for uh, for an eight year old at a time, but it, it, it all makes makes sense now. When all said and done. All right, that's it for the emails. Thank you again. You can do. 24inchpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach us on social media, either on Twitter or on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Dave checks that every day, posts photos on there. Um, you can go that direction or you can go to the Facebook group too. So that's that. Dave, with all that said, we have two shows left in our first season, which started back in December of 2020. Uh, which means with December of 2021 coming up, we're having a birthday. Um, we do about two shows a month. We have two left this year, which means we have a birthday show and a season finale. And we're here today to tell the people what we're going to do to celebrate our birthday and our finale. So, Dave, why don't you give it to the people? All right, brother. One of my all-time favorite shows. Only one way to go for the anniversary of the 24-inch podcast. We're always a good time over here. Nothing too serious. We like to have fun, talk about the good old days, and nothing more fun than the 37th annual Slammy Awards from 1987, one of my favorite shows of all time. Zero wrestling on this show, but as you know, I don't give a shit about stuff like that. We got a nice brawl on this show, what kind of makes it, between uh, Axel Jim Duggan and the King Harley Race, and uh, we're going to be loose as a goose like the girls down the street covering this show, uh, maybe do a couple shots, maybe doing a couple toasts to the 24-inch podcast, and some of that 1987 WWF wrestling album, Piledriver, music and awards. I love it, man. 
We're going to have fun. Can't wait to do it. And then for our season finale, we'll be doing... Season finale, we're going to have... Why would we want to have a Merry Christmas when we could have a No Holds Barred Christmas? Good point. No Holds Barred, the match, the movie, the last of our series, our series finale coming. No, 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 no. Slow down. Season finale. The series will continue. Season finale. The season finale in the Silver Dome, brother. This is White white Caps, not made in America. (laughs) Yes. The season finale, excuse me, will be No Holds Barred. The Master Movie. We're going to watch the movie. I hope Paul Mania will join us and watch the movie. A couple parts. You might have to cover her eyes, but not too many. The movie's pretty clean. And uh, we're going to talk about the movie. We're going to break it down. We're going to have some laughs. We're going to make fun of some stuff of the movie. Tell some stuff that we liked. When we saw it in the theater, etc. What do we remember? All that stuff. Then one of the matches is kind of forgotten about. Everybody remembers the SummerSlam 89 Brutus and Hulk versus Macho and Zeus match, but People forget that there was a match here inside a steel cage right after the movie for the big holiday pay-per-view. No holes barred. The match, the movie, our season finale coming up right at the end of the year. Yeah, season finale. Um, it's been a crazy year. On that one-year anniversary show, we'll also spend some time going back over the first season a little bit, the first year of the show. That'd be fun. Talk about some of the highs and the lows, and we'll do the card, and we'll work it out. I'll work out a uh, agenda for both of those shows. But please, if you have any questions, that comments you want answered, um, please do that. And then we'll also maybe we'll give away some awards at the season finale as well, or the one year show wherever there's more time. Maybe some fan of the year type honors, things like that. Yeah, there's going to be some heat between Tim Mangione and Kevin Hogan, I think. Yeah, who's going to get that spot? Ooh, I don't know what to do there. Yeah, does Mick Price sneak in? Mick Price from the sneak internet, in there. You know, to steal yeah. it. You know, is it, is it is it a different name? You know, is it um, Chet? You know, does Chet make a late push? Uh, Chet, Chet is my wrestling friend. No matter what, we do all the shows together, all the signings, stuff like that. So, yeah, he's, he's somebody to think about as well. Yeah, maybe it's my nephew Gregory who sends many emails into the show. Good questions. Yeah, so could, could he steal it? So it'll be interesting. Um, but uh, I think that's it for tonight. Enjoy your Thanksgivings uh, with your families and um, go Saints. And uh, that's it for me. Dave, anything from you? I just want to say enjoy your Thanksgiving. You, Paul Amania, my two new close friends for this past year. And, of course, your wife Tammy as well, Paul's mom. And uh, you guys just have the best Thanksgiving. Hopefully the Saints win for you. And I'll be over here drinking some beer, drinking some wine, eating some food, and just being Hollywood Dave Rollins. Well, until then, we ask you to say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and tell your friends about the 24-inch podcast. Brother. Gobble, gobble. Gobble.